he knew that if he said no, they were going to kill him too. Yeah. And she said that he like he just came home and opened the door, and he had like blood on his shirt. And then she asked him, "Where is he? Like, where's your friend? You know, is he going to come home for dinner?" And my dad just started crying, and then like confessed to her. And then it, that was the first time she like had seen him just be weak and be hurt by this. And that as he got higher, you know, he wasn't the one that had to do these things, but he became this hardened man because of that, because of the things that he had to do to get this position, to get that money. Ships are docking, planes are landing, a never-ending supply. No more narco, no more gangsters, conservatives get grabbed. I took the law and threw it away, cause nothing wrong is before There's no law, no law anymore. I want to steal from the rich. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ari. You ever find a spider bite on you? Uh, it's, like it's gets, it's getting bigger as you find it. It's like finding fresh tracks. It's like when Daryl from Walking Dead finds tracks. He's like, they're still fresh. I think it's a spider. Well, it could be vampire. Welcome to Ari Shafir's Captain Tech, episode 264, Narcos, with Luisa Diaz. Um, on today's episode, very interesting one. Uh, I have Luisa on. She is a really, really smart person. Like, uh, just a lot smarter than me. <laughs> um, so it was always fun talking to her. She's got great views on shit, but... Um, Specifically, I want to talk about this, where I heard her at a party one time, just kind of like half mentioned that her her dad was involved in the in the uh, in the Escobar cartel. And when I say involved, I mean like heavily involved. So um, that's what I do when I hear somebody talk about that. It's like it's a podcast episode, the bigger podcast episode. So anyway, um, probably eight nine months passed, and we finally got it done. Um, she was a little bit hesitant at first about talking about this stuff, but, uh, she did it great, open, and it was fun, and really interesting. So, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about Pablo Escobar. That show makes him into a, it's weird, it makes him into like a hero, but then also, you know, a demon at the same time. I think that's just film in general, where you end up like rooting for the character, regardless of his... Of what he's doing. Remember the shield? Remember when the shield got got too dark? When Mackie was like a just like a become like a bad person and you're stuck like rooting for him. Um I had a great time in Utah and in the Arkansas, Oklahoma border. I went hiking two days in a row. So I went to Utah, I did I did Wise Guys for the first time. And then uh, that night, the whole white staff went up into the mountains. We tried to start a fire and couldn't. It's shockingly hard to start a fire with only logs, no dry kindling, and a piece of paper and a, and a lighter. And everything else there was soaked. Anyway, whatever. I went back the next day. I had a day off on Friday. went back, hiked all day, and then was like, fuck this. I went back to the same spot. By the way... It's interesting when you get to like a national park area. Um, 
and and then you 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 get up there and you see at the entrance just a just a used condom, just a just a rolled out used condom. And and you start to make you know make a picture in your head of what went down, what exactly happened. You know, I thought maybe, sure could be sex, but probably gay sex. It's Utah, it's Salt Lake City. You know, they don't look down on that in such a religious city. You only get you only get three two or three five alcohol for beers too, unless you go to like restaurant beer bars. But um. Yeah, maybe gay sex. And then I walk away thinking about the gay sex that happened right on the fucking railing. The railing that went down on a railing to the entrance of the of the park, the campsite. Then I walk a little farther, see a condom box, and it's magnums. I'm like, oh, that dude tore that other dude's ass apart with his hog, with his giant magnum hog. Anyway, um, yeah, I went up to Big Cottonwood Canyon and, and just had a good time, but lit up some fire. I went and got logs. So I went and got logs the next day, tried to bust it out there before I scoped an area. Found a good spot, a little too close to the, to the, um, to the road, but over like a, a, a babbling brook right near water. Fucking perfect. Get away. Get away. Dude, it was so good. You leave your cell phone. You leave your cell phone at home and the, the urge keeps going, oh, I got to go back to the car and get my cell phone and check it. See if it, and it's like, no, just let yourself go. And then once you get, once you like pass the urge to check your phone or your technology and then you're left with nothing, then you're just this like floating area you're, where your mind just floats and then eventually starts to fill in. It's kind of like what they say for those, uh, for those chambers, those flotation chambers, isolation chambers, whatever they're called. But you do that without technology, just in the wood, and you just start thinking about stuff. It's like a form of meditation or something. So anyway, I went and got a starter log, smart, and uh, three things of logs. Went up there, got there just before dark. It was scary. There's bears and moose up there, but I don't know if moose go out at night. I was kind of banking on that they don't. And bears too. Uh, yeah, started the fire. That's the starter log. Fucking works wonder. I couldn't get it going right away. It, the thing burned. The paper around it burned, and then just went out. And and it, it lit on the starter log for like you know like thirty forty seconds, and then went out. And I was like, fuck. But I brought a pillow. I had a pillow from the hotel, and I took the pillowcase off it and just stuck that under the starter log and lit up the pillowcase. Thank you, hotel. Yeah, it was great. Started a fucking fire. It was all snowing up there. It was 80 degrees, 85 degrees at the base in Salt Lake City. Fucking snowing upstairs in the mountain. So the snow and kind of rain stopped, and I went out there and just made made a little uh, in a campfire, in a little campfire area. That was great. And then uh, after about an hour and a half, I saw a flashlight coming down. It was a cop telling me I couldn't do it there. Tell me I wasn't allowed to fucking make a campfire there. I was like, I said, there's just no cars. He goes, yeah, but there's no camping at all here. I was like, I'm not camping. He goes, well, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm lighting a fire, man. He goes, you're not planning on sleeping here? I'm like, hell no, man. It's like 45 degrees. What's the pillow for? I just wanted to sit on something. You think I, just, you think I got three logs left and it's 1130 at night and I'm going to stay here? I'm going to stay here until the morning? With three logs left, 
I made me put my fire out and leave. I wonder if I had petitioned enough. I wonder if I had been like, hey, listen, man, I'm not going anywhere. Can I just stay out here and burn the rest of these logs? I'm, 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 I'm in the right area. I didn't bring my car in here. I'm not camping. I'm not sleeping. Let me just stay, man. But he didn't believe me. Anyway, then I went and did this show in, in Oklahoma at Cherokee Casino. And the, the next day, today, me and Nick Mullen, who opened for me in that place, went camping in the Ozarks. Went to Devil's Den. Oh, it's amazing. It's so much camping over the last few days. Hiking. We walked up to this spot. And we walked all the way around. Raj, the opener guy. Walked around. It was fun. But then we went to this like, this like crevice. This like where it's just out over the mountains. So all those girls get their selfie pictures, you know? Get their, uh, what's it called? Pictures. Facebook profile pictures. That's the word. Profile. And um, yeah, we went out there. Just sat for a while. I mean, you lay on your, you, you just see the whole valley and stuff open up in front of you. You're way above the trees. We threw some big rocks down. It took like six, seven seconds before it hit the ground. It was beautiful. I mean, it was breathtaking. And I was laying there on my stomach, like way out, way out, you know, right to where my head is right above, out on on the crevice, you know, where it's like this, this crag that's like over, that's further out than anything else you know just let the majesty of nature like overtake me and then eventually i i'm like all right guys we should go back in and i look back at nick mullen he's playing candy crush he's sitting up there playing candy crush what the f- fuck man addicts you're all addicts ladies and gentlemen a couple dates before we get started i'm gonna be in san francisco this weekend, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Make sure to come out to the punchline. Get tickets at ariathegreat.com. Tonight, Monday, I'm doing a benefit show for the uh, to raise money for the fucking relief fund for, for that city, Fort McMurray, that burned down in Alberta, Canada. The whole city burned down. The whole city burned to the ground. They evacuated the whole city because of forest fires. I mean, everyone in there. It's like they're all gone. The city's wiped off. Anyway, so I figure uh, we should do a benefit show. So uh, me and, and, and Aaron Berg, this Canadian comic at the stand, are putting it on. David Tell is going to be there. Sean Patton's doing it. Robert Kelly's doing it. 100% of the doors going to the uh, Canadian Red Cross Fire Fund. And the Canadian government is going to match it dollar for dollar. So every dollar we raise there will be doubled. Plus, the guys at New York Comedy Club, it's on 24th Street between 3rd and 2nd, I think. The guys at New York Comedy Club said 20% of all the drink sales, all the liquor sales, they'll donate, which is pretty much the whole markup. So come out. It should be a good cause, and it's going to be a great show. Attell and Sean Patton and Robert Kelly, me, I'll be hosting, I think. Um, all right, you guys, maybe one more, maybe one more comic. It'll be a fun night, 20 bucks, regular price for a show. It's a great show, good, t- good time, good cause. Come out. Uh, tickets on my website, arithegreat.com. And if you want to come to my storyteller show, the taping, you can. It's in Hollywood, in Los, An- in Los Angeles, at Cheetahs again, um, May 22nd through 25th, Sunday through Wednesday. If you want to come to a show, go to uh, www.theblacklistnyc.com slash T-I-N-H dot H-T-M-L. 
It's a blacklistnyc.com slash T-I-N-H. That's, this is not happening. .htm. Um, and if you want to come to more than one show, so here's the deal. They, they have this referral thing um, where you can put uh, whatever you want or how you are referred. If you put Jew, that means they'll know you're my fans. And so they'll get you uh, um, right away. They'll get you um, confirmed for your tickets so you can come to the show. This is all going to be good shows. Yeah, they're all going to be good shows. And if you want to come to more than one night, you can't come to more than one show on a night. You'll get tired as an audience member. But if you want to come to more than one show on a night, I mean, more than one night of shows, uh, put in Jew. And when they, when they ask you what shows you want to go to, reply, I'd like to go to another night too. Don't do it if you're not going to come. But if you plan on coming more than one night, then that's the way to do it. Uh, we don't have the exact lineups of when they're coming yet, but the, the lineups overall are fucking glorious. Andrew WK, Kindler, Kreischer, Bonnie, Brian Regan, Stanhope, Greg Barron, Fitzsimmons, Big J, Joe List, Diaz, Lavelle, Lisa Traeger, Louis Anderson, Cho, Bamford, Scoville, Russell Peter, Sal Volcano, Scroncho, Simone. Should be great, you guys. No bad shows. Um, all right, let's start the episode, shall we? So I say everything about where I just left. Chased out of the woods. Oh, yeah. All right. I guess I did. Um, by the way, they say Utah has a lot of Mormonism, but it has a lot more methamphetamines. Whoa. There are some zombies out there, bro. Uh, let's start the episode. So this is about drugs, you guys. This is about the drug trade from Colombia to America. They did, a move, they did a show about it on Netflix called Narcos, which I'm most of the way in. I like it. This is more real. This is from like a first-hand account, what's going on. Luis's father was completely involved in this shit. He was partners with Escobar. I mean, we'll get on to all of it, but um, it's her, you know, understanding of what was happening as a child of one of the heads of the cartel, heads of the Narcos. So let's do it. Ari Shafir Skeptic Tank, episode 264. Narcos. With Luisa Diaz. Starts now. The real story of one member of the Escobar drug cartel begins. It's there on your banks that we fought many a fight. Sheridan's boys and the blockhouse that night. They saw us in death, but never in flight. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Your power is turning our darkness to dawn. Roll on, Columbia, roll on. Yeah. First, can you talk, are you allowed to talk about acid mushrooms? Yeah. Okay, sure. so wait, explain to me again <laughs> why you like acid better than mushrooms. I'm always oh, amazed man. by this. Really? Oh, okay. Um, mushrooms make me feel like I'm being poisoned, to be honest with you. Just because of the stomach? Just because of the stomach. And listen, I mean, you, know, you know how we mentioned earlier that when you're tripping, you like rationalize something for yourself and you accept it as, it, as the explanation and you just make your actions and your decisions based on that yeah. knowledge? Yeah. I think I just very much categorized mushrooms as it's a thing that grows in the earth that if a cat eats it they'll die (laughs) and so 
it's poison, and so it makes you feel like it's going through all your like your digestive system. I don't know. I don't. everyone always tell me though they're like they're like when people say acid, they always go, um, "I know what natural. I'm getting with acid." Yeah. But it's like, what do you mean? No, it's made in a lab in somebody's fucking ba- bath. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that everybody usually tells me mushrooms are more natural. That's oh right. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. I trust science. <laughs> Is acid isn't all the same strength though, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I mean, I've I, I would say I've experienced less variation from acid to acid than I have from mushroom to mushroom. Okay, yeah. It depends very much with mushrooms, whereas acid, the only variation is like in the amount that you take. And I've gone all the way to like, man, one time I ate, I, I was a raver for a long time. Really? <laughs> yeah. And one time this guy gave me a sheet of gel tabs and we didn't have any way to cut it. So we tore it in three pieces and a, gel tab, a sheet is a hundred gel tabs. So we basically ate like 33 gel tabs each. What? <laughs> yeah. At a rave. It was awesome. <laughs> it was the best. Wow. It was great. It was no getting a, stuck that way. That's not a real thing. No, no. I would say, uh, if anything, smoking what? weed <laughs> has more after effects. Um, yeah, you get dumber later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget words in the middle of talking. I'm just like, wait, what was I saying? I've had to cut down recently. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I've, getting really bad. I've gotten to the realization that I need to cut down. I don't know that I'm going to be able to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My realization happened seven months ago, and I just started uh, uh, three or four weeks ago cutting down. See, exactly. I think I'm getting towards like, maybe I should think about it. It was Renazisi told me. He said he, his son, his six or seven-year-old, five, whatever it is, regularly beats him in memory in that, oh. in that card game. God, man. Dude, I don't know. And, I, and the thing is, like, I went to school for a long time. I have five degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I was in school for 10 years. And now I'm just like, what was that guy that wrote that book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, I talked to some dudes who do, in San Francisco who do make yeah. crossword puzzles, like mm-hmm. make crossword puzzles. Yeah. Like the number one guy. He yeah. was among them. And I was like, yeah, weed's making me dumb. They're like, we smoke weed. It's read and never reading, Ari. That's yeah, your, it's the combination. It's the combination, exactly. I've also, um, I watched no TV while I was in grad school pretty much for like a decade. And now you do. And now I watch all of it. And now I just like sit there and I'm like, yes, police procedural dramas. Yes. <laughs> procedural dramas. <laughs> yeah. My always problem with acid is, because I haven't done it that much. You all right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's a reflux. <laughs> um, it just it seems like you go away more. Like you're less less uh there with reality. Whereas mushrooms you're there plus mushrooms, where I feel like an acid sometimes you talk to things that aren't even there. You know, I never thought of it that way, but that's I would say that's accurate because I think what bothers me about mushrooms is that the experience is more like physical, like you're more reacting to your environment. You know? mushrooms. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you're more present and I think that's when you feel more of this like I want to touch the trees and whatever. Whereas on acid, it's in it's an internal trip. It's, it's like you're on your own holiday. It's in your brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and that's what I like about it, that it's very much about like confront your problems and your memories and your fucked up shit. And like, that's on you, acid? Yeah. Oh, I always find that on mushroom. Well, there's oh, definitely some overlap for sure. It depends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also think everybody's different and everybody reacts to things differently. But for me, it was very much like a challenge. Like, are you really going to let your own brain defeat you? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So... By the way, of all the people who like do different drugs, the pill heads, the, the mushroom heads, the pot heads, the, the booze heads, um, they always seem to like be angry at each other. Acid and mushrooms, it's always like, no, I just prefer no, this tell one. tell us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very much like, tell me how it is for you. Yeah, it's it. never yeah. like, fuck that. It's always like, I, I like this more, but we're I get too, it. We're too enlightened to <laughs> yeah. be like, you're doing the wrong drug. Yeah, yeah. It's never like, that one's wrong. It's just, I'm too scared of that one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
uh, well, of your police, whatever dramas, have you watched Narcos yet? Oh my God, what a great place to start. Should we Fucking end there or should we start it. there? You hated it. No, we can start there. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. I hate it. Don't watch it. It's the worst. Uh, <laughs> Why? I only watched two episodes, <laughs> yeah. or like two and a half, and I watched them with my mom, actually. Okay. She, it was her idea. She was the one that came in and was like, hey, have you heard about this thing called Narcos that everybody's talking about? We should watch it. And I put it on and like right away, I mean, we were laughing, like hysterically laughing. How dumb it was? <laughs> How dumb it How was. How wrong it was? How wrong it was. Uh, like, you know, mind you, I only saw the first three episodes, but there was the part where they said that Pablo's mom helped him hide shit in her house. Do you remember that? That they were like, his mom would hide his money and his cocaine under her, her oh, yeah, couch yeah, yeah. or He's something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. made a couch out of money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That shit is total bullshit. His mom was a teacher who was like very disappointed in his choices in life. Really? Who, yeah, who refused to take his money, who like, you would only see her at like family events and otherwise she just didn't want to be a part of the shame of what he had caused and that kind of thing. So that was total bullshit. Uh, my main gripe with it was all the fucking not Colombian people in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Here's the all, thing. Oh, you mean the Mexicans that are playing Colombians? Yeah, and the Brazilians. And here's the thing. No, hear me out. Hear me yeah. out. It's not about authenticity for the sake of authenticity. This is not why I'm complaining. Okay. I'm because compl- that is a lot of people's problems. Yeah, that sort exactly. Of stuff. I'm not saying like, oh my God, you had the chance to give a Colombian a role. Why didn't you? That's not my problem. My problem is that they purposely chose to film it in Spanish, which means they were making a play for authenticity. And then they failed at that play by filling it with people who don't speak Colombian Spanish. Oh, it's just a different dialect. It's a different dialect. And yeah. there's all these di- different dialects talking to each other, Mexicans and Brazilian. Brazilians don't even speak Spanish. Oh, yeah. And the Pablo guy is Brazilian, all right? So he doesn't is speak Is he Brazilian? Spanish. Yes. Oh. So How's his Spanish? Not good. Oh, so basically, really? I it's thought like, he was Mexican from LA. No, man. So imagine the main guy is is, is fucking is, Brazilian. What? Yeah. So imagine if you watch a movie oh. about the Civil War and it was like full of Australians and British people. Or had someone from Boston <laughs> or, playing, yeah, playing exactly. like Robert E. Lee, or, and you're yeah, like, your exactly. accent's wrong. Or some fucking New Orleans guy. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. It was just infuriating to me. I was just like, this is fucking bullshit and I need to turn it off. Um, And then in general, I just like, I don't really watch most of the stuff because it's like glorifying, glorifying. Uh Um, The one that I would say I really do like is, do you ever watch 30 for 30? Sometimes. The two Escobars. Have you seen that one? No, I've heard about that's a good one. You should watch watch it. it It's really, really great. I watch a lot of the 30 for 30s, but. Some of them are so good. The the one with uh, with, uh, Vladi and. uh, and, uh, Is that two brothers? Two brothers. Two brothers. Different sides of the fucking fence. Yeah, man. Those are so great. It was like, we can't talk anymore. I love it. I love it because I don't don't watch sports, but, you know, I'm an anthropologist. So what I'm interested in is watching all these, like, social manifestations of what's really happening in society, you know, Uh which comes through in art. And in sports and it's in politics, it's amazing. ESPNers doing these things. I know. Wait, what's that one called? Uh, the two Escobars. Two Escobars. Yeah, and that one is about. Um, it's like a counter juxtaposition or whatever of Pablo Escobar and Andres Escobar. Andres was uh, like a forward. I want to say I don't know the players. Was positions. it what? A forward on the Colombian national team. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Who did? Um, he he was the one that did the auto goal. Is that how you say it in English? He like scored on his own team during a big cup and they killed him yeah so somebody killed him so, they killed Pablo's brother no they're not brothers they're not related oh they're just yeah. Escobar's so really it's a oh. really good one because it, what it does is it basically tells two different stories of how people could rise out of poverty in Colombia 
yeah. of these two Escobars and then the ways that narco trafficking and football cro- or soccer crossed. In they did talk a lot about that in in uh, Narcos, where it was like he would put in a f- you know football stadiums yeah. and stuff, and then people yeah. would just start to love him because they're like, "Cool, now we have." Yeah, I'm about to tell you about a lot of that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. I um, so um, well, I guess I should start with I'm American. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is important because I'm the first American in my family. You were born here. Yeah, I was born in Miami. Um, but before that, everybody in my whole family is Colombian. So um, I was born in Miami, but then I moved around to a lot of different places and mainly grew up in Colombia from like, I would say like three to 10. You went back? Yeah, we went back. We, we moved a lot. In, <laughs> in retrospect, I assume there was like a lot of business going on. Yeah. Uh, but we, it felt like we were always on vacation. We traveled a lot. We moved to a lot of different houses. I think at one point I counted that I went to 17 different schools before college. What? Yeah, yeah. How'd you make any friends? I no mean, way. No, I mean, I'm actually pretty good at making friends wherever I go, but then I, I don't have like longevity. I don't expect people to be around for very long. I don't think that people who know me expect me to be like that always present friend, you know? Yeah. Um, but it means I'm very comfortable with change, <laughs> which yeah. most people are not. <laughs> That's what you trained in, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Change and like self-sufficiency and we got this, no problem. Yeah. Um, My mom was, um, was sad once because she was like, you know, I was always working yeah. and your dad wasn't around. It was like, I wasn't there for you. And I was like, yeah. oh no, I learned how to cook. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't care. Yeah, no, this is uh, so much about this is like, you know, I was telling you before, uh, I was raised to not talk about my family and not talk about anything in the family, like to the point where it's just like, eh, lo de la familia es lo de la familia. Like, it doesn't ever leave the family kind of thing. And you understand that family is not just blood, it's like the people that are part of that group, you know? Um, So it wasn't until college that I even, like, started telling people anything about my family so throughout high school i lied i would tell people that my dad was a journalist that's what i was taught always right so he was on on assignment yeah no no he was he had died but you know i would just let them and like uh, infer that he died through some kind of assignment because columbia is so violent and that kind of thing so oh, right but i would never really go Wait, into details so if people like where was he a journalist would you say he was a Colombian journalist yeah okay. exactly he was a Colombian journalist that's that explained why we moved so much uh you know pretty much everything yeah so i would always do this which was really weird because you know um to begin with like friends in, in miami in high school they were like, I feel like I would get looks from their parents, like my friend's parents, who like were very... They must have known? Yeah, exactly. And, or like suspicious in the stereotypical way of like, this woman's Colombian. But, Thank God it was post-internet, because they could just look up, who's this journalist? Let me look him up. I don't yeah, see him. Exactly. There's no record yeah, of anything yeah, he's written. It was definitely before that, yeah. you know, or it was when it was beginning. But I guess, yeah, I guess we're getting ahead of it. Let's oh, go back, back to Colombia. Yeah yeah, 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 let's go to Colombia. Because uh, I actually had a great childhood, <laughs> to be honest with you. And um, I know why I was going to say that, because uh, it's a lot of difficult stuff, I guess, and it's weird for me to talk to people because it seems like I'm telling you this fucked up lie of a story that sounds like a movie. Like, it sounds like The Sopranos and like all these weird movies that people watch. But... It's very real, and I'm not ashamed of it. It's what made me part of how I am. Like were you, were you, were you saying ever? about your mom? No, I wasn't. If anything, I was maybe afraid because there were. Um, my mom suffered a lot of repercussions from my dad's choices, even after he died. So you we'll know, get to that later. We get that. Yeah, we'll get to okay. that later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I figured we would go with the good childhood first. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Let's set you up as a nice little girl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So you know, uh, when I moved. 
So I guess my earliest memories were in Miami, where yeah. I grew up in Coral Gables. I had a house there. Um, big house, you know, big lot of land. We had a panther in the front yard. Wait, what? Really? <laughs> yeah, I swear to God. Yours uh, or? No, it was my dad's. Yeah, my dad. So my dad had this whole thing with animals, which That's we're going to get into. shit. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're big gonna get... cats is the sign of someone who's, who's like Tyson had a lion. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what is wrong with you? I know, totally. What's wrong with regular cats? Dude, And but honestly, this is also why I identify with hip hop so much, because, you know, that. like, they have the term like uh, nigger rich honestly yeah, yeah. and like that's what I grew up with was with a bunch of poor men who suddenly came into money and then they had to like also find ways to spend it cleverly and it was just like ridiculous outfits and animals and cars. we started saying that when uh, when my friends when the here or there would start yeah. getting like development deals yeah. or whatever and, and they were like, like all in sneakers it was like what is this why are you buying it? you don't have that much money why are you buying a new Bentley yeah. what yeah. are you doing exactly you made a hundred grand you can't spend 70 of it exactly so this is this is what they were they were also uh keep in mind like um my mom had me when she was 19 yeah and my dad was 22 so that's too young i don't know if that was yeah. that allowable then but like, yeah that's too young. they were already kids yeah i mean they were still kids so uh, my dad basically um well, let's start with Coral Gables. So growing up in Coral Gables, you know, we had this panther in the front yard, which yeah. is the funny thing that I was going to tell you was that then when I was born, I was, when I started walking, I would walk in the front yard and apparently, according to my mom, she just felt like the panther would like lick its lips. It was like one of those Florida panthers, the was it, yellow ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in a cage? It was in, in a, a cage. Okay, like okay. in a big, like in a big habitat in our fucking yeah. yard. Like big, and there's like workers who would go feed it a giant steak and my dad thought it was hilarious to go wave the steak in front of the thing. And my mom she would lick its lips like yeah, fire. yeah. My mom was like, "You were like a little chubby baby, and he wanted to uh-huh. eat you." <laughs> so my mom got really mad and made my dad give it to the Metro Zoo. So the last I checked, the panther was still in Metro Zoo with a plaque that was donated by my family. Really? Yeah, yeah, in Miami. So I think they like br- at the Met, they bred it. Like donated yeah. by yeah. for the uh-huh. grant from so and so. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that was the last house that I remember in Miami. And then, or the first house I remember in Miami, I should say. And then we moved back to Columbia, right? We, I mean, I lived, we went to San Francisco. I lived in Los Angeles at one point, which, you know, I'll tell you about Los Angeles. That's a whole other chapter. But um, in Columbia, we lived in a couple, maybe like three different houses. One in the city, one that was um, Medellin is the city that I lived in. I've heard of that. Yeah, so probably because of the cartel, right? <laughs> so that's not Medellin. Medellin. Well, it's Medellin for real. Oh, but I think American people and a lot of other Spanish speakers can't say the double L with the correct emphasis of a J. Yeah, Medellin. Yeah. Um, so Medellin is a city that's in a valley, right? So it's the very bottom of the valley is like the inner city. It's like poor people and like commerce and the big part of the city. And then the higher you go up the valley, the richer the people. Puerto Rico is that too. Yeah, exactly. So we had a house that was like slightly outside the city. And I went to like a Catholic school when I was at that one. And then later we were in a house that was in the, like in the middle of the valley, which I think is the one we lived in the longest. And then we also had a ranch house that was, um, like, my mom always wanted to be an architect, but my dad didn't want her to go to school because so many reasons. <laughs> because we moved too much, because he had this macho thing about women not having jobs. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Wait, why were you moving around so much at that point? Um, oh, because... Why'd you move to Columbia? Well, okay, so because the explanation that I can gather is, because I've only really started talking to my mom about this recently, is that, so Pablo was like the front man of the Medellin cartel. He uh-huh. was the top, he was the boss, but he was also like the public figure of the cartel. 
my dad was like the CFO, <laughs> right? Right. So he was not the one that was, his name was not publicly known. My dad didn't let people take pictures of him. I have maybe like three pictures of my dad. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Um, he was never, he just was not public at all. But like, you know, people inside knew that he was the one that managed the money. The reason that we're American was because he was the one that moved to America to be like the point of... Point person up point here. Point person here, yeah. Do you remember... Um, was that Kevin Costner movie where he's trying to end the? Um, we had a task force with Sean Connery and whatever else it was. Oh, I don't remember. But it was. But there was some guy that was a tax man. They had to get to him oh, to take okay. down. No, I think that was the lawyer that they used. There was like a tax lawyer that they yeah. used. Yeah, yeah, and there was like an American guy that used to help them too. But I vaguely remember that guy, not very well. Chief financial officer. Yeah, pretty much. That's cartel. me putting a title <laughs> so yeah. people can understand. So okay. Um, Right, right, yeah, so basically think of it as like wherever there was a new branch that needed to be open, that's where we moved. <laughs> that's where we went. So um, we actually went back to Colombia, I would say, because everything was stable in the U.S., like all set up. Because uh, my dad was the one, uh, have you ever seen, um, it's so weird that to tell your life story, you have to like reference popular culture, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, people can't understand really <laughs> yeah, otherwise. Yeah, I know, exactly. Uh Cocaine Cowboys. Okay, so if you've okay. seen Cocaine Cowboys, there's like a scene where when Pablo's first setting it up with the Mexicans, they fly a small plane to Mexico to talk to them. Okay. So the guy that flew the plane was my dad. But like in the movie, they don't even have the right name because my dad went by like a bunch of different aliases. Um, and didn't, and that's why we always were able to use our real names for everything. Like, yeah. Because his real name is not associated with anything. Oh, the Mexican cartels were started by the Colombian cartels? I thought they were separately... Form. No, uh, no, it was pretty much, okay. yeah. Okay. It, so. was, it was that the Colombian cartels were the ones that set the trade routes up through Mexico. So they went to Mexicans and said, we have product and we need you to help us move it through this border. And that's what set all of that up. But um, similarly to Colombia, after all the cartels kind of fell, chaos ensues. Kind of like when, when Saddam Iraq. Hussein got killed. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, yeah, okay, bad people in charge, but they were keeping a lot of things under control, so... Now we're here. Um, so I think we moved to Colombia when I was little. This is just me supposing, I guess. Because everything was set up, so it was more to like go back to where we are home, you know, to where our family was. Like he always was. had intended to go home. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so the thing to remember here is that, so my dad was one of 10 kids. He had, oh, that's my phone. Don't worry about it. Um, he had. Four, one of 10 kids? Yeah. Fuck, four. Latinos, pull out. Catholics, baby, Catholics. Oh, yeah. Don't forget them Irish that's, that's, are there that's, with that's us. The, yeah, I'm like, come yeah. on, that's what it is. It's the Catholicness. <laughs> it's the Bermuda Triangle of babies. And the poverty, man. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So uh, he, had, he was one of 10. He had four sisters and five brothers. Okay? okay. And he was the second oldest, and he went to school until he was 11. And then he had to stop going to school. What? Yeah, and him and his older brother and the one below him would sell cheese on the street to pay for like the younger kids to go to school and to help the family and whatnot. Louisa, the street is one of the worst places to buy cheese. I know. Imagine. I could and not. And it's like cheese, <laughs> cheese wrapped in a leaf, too. It's like, really? It's really delicious. It's so good. Really? You would love it. Yeah. It's so good. Well, I mean, I, I honestly, yeah. if I went there and there was a bunch of people selling it, I was like, oh, yeah, You'd I'll buy like, some yeah, cheese. like, yeah, I'll eat it. Yeah, exactly. There's this, uh, there's this uh, Bible, a Torah thing where they say uh, if you find a piece of meat in front of uh, like three restaurants and two of them are kosher and one's not, yeah. like what are the uh, how many restaurants do you have to be kosher or not kosher to allow that to eat that meat? And then at some point, I learned that for like a decade and a half. And somebody was like, why would you eat meat you found 
on the street. Piece of street. Yeah. And the rabbit's like, what? Like, what do you mean? Eat street meat. What are you talking yeah, about? Exactly. No, well, it was delicious. I mean, and it's... Wait, what is it wrapped in? Wrapped in? Is it like... In like a palm leaf. So it's uh, pure... It's like cow... Like enchiladas? Kind of, yeah, yeah. So it's like... Uh, uh, you probably had like Mexican white cheese more often, but in Colombia, it's like the white cheese made of cow milk, like pure, like unpasteurized cow uh-huh. milk. And then they like let it ferment and wrap it in a leaf so it solidifies. And then they just sell it to you wrapped in a leaf and paper. And you like, just peel it and eat chunks off it? No, you put it in the fridge and you slice it and put the slices on arepas. Uh-huh. Or like anything you like cheese on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my grandma would make it and my, br- my dad and his brothers would sell it on the streets and sell cigarettes, you know. And my dad's dad was a sheriff in like a small town outside of the city in Medellin. Um, so, you know, he came from like poor, but like law abiding <laughs> citizens. Right. Um, oh, and, right. yeah. So like weirdly kind of like the Bronx tale kind of situation. He just like met dudes on the street who were like, take this package for me or do this other thing. And I honestly do remember meeting like old guys that you could tell were probably like from the generation before my dad, before it was like an international cartel. Cause it was my dad and Pablo who turned it into an international cartel, but there were already like gangs basically that ran the towns in Colombia and that kind of thing. Because so, of the poverty and the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like, that's just the way things were, like kind of um, feudal, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> so my dad, by like, so he started doing that around 12 and he met my mom and they were, when he was 19 and she was 17. And my mom had, she was like the closest to middle class that there was in Colombia, by which I mean like my grandmother had like a white collar job, you know? Um, and my mom went to private school, that kind of thing, but oh. not rich by any means. Um, so my mom had an arranged marriage, right, when she was 16. And when she was 17, she met my dad. After meeting my dad, she had my sister. Oh, no, right before meeting my dad, she had my sister, right? Um, she had your sister? Yeah, from her oh, first oh, yeah. husband, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and right after having my sister, she de- she decided to run away with my dad. What? Yeah, so my mom, like, Gave up all her family. She tried. She to, took your sister. She tried. My mo- my grandmother like because she was underage. My grandmother had legal rights to it. Like that's the way that it worked over there. So I saw my sister throughout my life of you know like half a dozen to a dozen times whenever she would visit with my grandmother. Total ever. Yeah, because then half my sister. sister half sister and then she still saw her dad obviously and she didn't want to live with my dad. So it was like you know it's fine. Yeah. That's how you live. It was just her dad probably hated your dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's he gonna do about it? <laughs> Can't do anything. Yeah. Completely powerless. Can't yeah, do anything about exactly. it. And still, like, this is the guy that's fucking my girl. Yeah, exactly. But they actually, like, so they, my mom, yeah, basically became homeless for, I think she said for a month she was homeless because my dad was out of town on some kind of task. <clears throat> and when he came back, he had to ask a friend of theirs who was like, oh, she's staying with a neighbor. And so he went and he found her. And then within, like, I think they got an apartment, she said, that it was the first place that she had with him and his best friend, right? And we'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, and from there was where he like started going up in the organization as it was then. And then um, eventually, whenever it became whatever you see in, cow- in Cocaine Cowboys, we moved, they, got, they moved to the United States together and had yeah. me, right? So that's where we go to uh, Coral Gables, all of this stuff. And then when we move... Who lives in Coral Gables? Is that Jews? Who's Coral Gables? Yeah, pretty much Jews. It's like the rich people in Miami. Yeah. I feel like I've heard of it before, so that's probably why. And you know, something that's very strange is that like, I did not realize that I wasn't white until after my dad died. 
Why? Because I was always the top class wherever I was. Yeah. Um, you know, like in Colombia, when I lived in Colombia, like I said, I went to private Catholic schools. One school that I went to called El Instituto Parra Paris was the school that all of the diplomats' kids went to. I went to school with like the mayor's son. Really? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I mean, you're top of your classes here. You must have been oh, easily yeah. top of your classes in Colombia. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, but I mean, I was like going to a private school where every kid got dropped off in like bulletproof cars and we all had bodyguards and you know i remember once i went to play barbies at a friend's house after school and both of our bodyguards picked us up in separate cars we both drove to her house and both bodyguards stood outside the bedroom while we played barbies <laughs> and just like waited until we finished playing barbies and then because there's such a risk of the, like we got to take one of these rich kids it's that's just the way it is it's not even just take actually like <laughs> Well, the taking was potential, yes. Not as much as it is now, because that's more of a guerrilla problem. Like, the cartel time and the post-cartel time was two different kinds of dangers. Okay. During cartel time, the danger was that enemies of your dad uh, would want to get you. Now, uh, it's if you have some money. Yeah, opportunists, yeah. opportunists who just want to like get an American, whoever. They don't know who you are. They don't give a shit, you know? Um, but this would be more like specifically targeting your family, you know? Yeah. Um, and for the same reason the diplomats had bodyguards and their kids uh, my best friend was this kid named Adan who was like it's funny because I have a lot of best friends in my memories because I moved to so many schools so I'm like the best friend at that school and the one at that school So, but Adan was the, the son of a French diplomat who lived across the street from me so it was weird because you know like you knew you don't talk about it but it was clear that everybody knew like who you are it was, you were treated with respect um I don't know. In when I lived in Miami and in LA, I went to Montessori schools. Like I went, <laughs> yeah. Like I always had the top of everything. Our vacations were Montessori schools are weird. I know, but I think that they're it so really, artistic based, right? No, yeah, they are. I know they're they're based on like experiential learning. So instead of like making you memorize and like rote learn things, uh-huh. it's about learning motor skills by doing things. And learning the whys behind things. Like, I totally got it. <laughs> and wow. I'm a big fan. And if I were ever going to breed, I would send my kids back. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you need um, some water or anything? No, no. Okay. I got some coffee. Um, I think in general, it's just too much smoking. Um, but <clears throat> where was I? So you're in Coconut, Coconut Grove. Coral Gables. Coral Gables, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, so we moved to Colombia. So in Colombia... This was our life. This was it was just like a regular life. I had a maid or two, sometimes. and uh, my and brother and, and I each had a bodyguard. My dad had bodyguards. Oh, you didn't know you were white. That's it. Yeah, I didn't know I wasn't white. Yeah. yeah, because I was always like you know top of everything. We lived in the best neighborhoods. Everything. We traveled a lot um, on vacations. So You're pretty light skinned too. Yeah, yeah. My mom and my brother are a little bit darker, but my dad had blue eyes. My dad looked kind of like you, but chubby. Yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> but. Um, what do you call it? Yeah, so our vacation is like, uh, I guess, you know, you have, he's a poor guy with money now. So our vacations where we went to the World Cup in Japan. We yeah. went to France for the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, we went to Vegas for boxing events all the time. Um, my first communion, for my first communion, the whole Colombian national team went to my first communion. What? <laughs> yeah. Your dad was that important? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and they sponsored the teams. And then, like, it was just... Um, in Damn. oh, you haven't seen the two Escobars, but there's a good scene in there that not, you'll remember when you're watching it. But basically, um, there was 
a point later on where Pablo Escobar turns himself in to prison. I don't know if you remember that at all. Okay. If it's like big news, but um, in, I want to say 1990, 1990-ish, because my dad died in 91. So Pablo turned himself in. I'm trying to remember this. I would have remembered it. Yeah, it's big, but I'll tell you about it. And then what, he gets out? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But while oh, he so was he in get that prison. while he's in prison. Yeah, well, it was like now. part of a deal to fuck the United States, which I'll, I'll explain in a second. But uh, all I was going to say about that is that while they were in that prison, the national team would visit them there, and they had like a football field that they would play football on, on breaks. Cause it's they had like every, national team? Yeah, yeah. So that's it would be like great. all gangsters versus, <laughs> yeah. Like the dream team no, coming and that's in and how playing was, with. Uh, the, the third house that I was telling you was that my mom wanted to be an architect, and my dad wouldn't let her. So one day, like joking, he's like, just, you can't even do it. Draw a house. Draw the house that you would want. And my mom drew the house that she would want, and next, and the next year for her birthday, it was built. Oh, yeah. that's so romantic. I know. <laughs> for, for like a misogynist freaking yeah. <laughs> gangster, was like, you can't go to school. But here, here's your fucking house. Uh, so we lived in that house. It was really beautiful. It was great. Um, I went to a different school, and that one called it Triangulo. It was like another private school that taught you about like farming techniques. So like I knew how to take care of animals. It was great. It was fantastic. Um, I think at that one, my brother and I convinced them that we wanted to take the bus to school. You know, which was like a big no-no. And then they finally allowed us to. And then one day I like turned around and looked and it was like the bodyguard following us in the car. He followed the bus all the way to school and then just turned around and came back. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, at least you let me ride the bus with my friends. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah. Was that a weird feeling of being tethered all the time? Or did you, was that the only way you knew? So you didn't no, really notice it? No, it was just the it? only way that I knew. And yeah. everybody that I knew was like that. Except the only exception was when I was around poor people. Um which was pretty often because, you know, the majority of my family was poor, like my dad's family. Um, and then all my uncles started working for my dad, right? Except for one. Uh, so I had five uncles and my dad. One of them died in a motorcycle accident. All the rest of them were assassinated. All right. Um, except for one who's still alive. But I'll tell you about one later. <laughs> um, so there's only one left. But um, wait, what was I telling you about the uncles? Tell me why you were tethered. You felt tethered. Oh, yeah. No, the poor people. So the, they all started working for my dad. So like little by little, they were all just part of the family. But my grandmother, my dad's mother, my dad at one point bought her a house closer to the city that was like a big fancy house. And my grandmother lived in it for like six months. And I was like, I fucking hate it here. I'm going to go back to the town. <laughs> so she went back to the house where my dad grew up in like this poor like crappy house and my dad fixed it up a little bit but she just refused to leave there so whenever we visited her grandmother we were like with the poor people like totally with the poor people who yeah. came to visit to be like oh um oh dad- you were here today i didn't even know yeah, i didn't know you were exactly, coming today exactly to and especially because the way that it was was like my dad my uncles all the cartel dudes the children came up to them and they would just give them money they would just be like here have money and they would take money back to their parents um so damn they were just beloved. But here's the thing. So I had all these things. I had, honestly, a, a really great life. I spent a really great 10 years traveling with my dad, doing a lot of stuff. He was a very present dad. You know, like he played with us, he, everything. He participated in school. I remember uh, one time he had to sign something for me for school, and he signed a wrong name, like not his name, you know? And then I was like, I must have been like seven. And I, and I was like, this isn't your name. Why would you write another name, dad? And he was like... 
oh, don't worry about it. That's an inside joke with me and your teacher. She knows it's me. And then, of course, I like turned it in and my teacher looks at it. He's like, okay, thank you. And he just like puts it down. What, on the school papers, they just had a different name for that? No, it's like they had to sign your homework to yeah. like say you did it and whatever. So it was just a matter of like, it's, it was like a way of getting your parents involved in your work and that kind no, of stuff. No, but what name did he give the school that wasn't like... He just put a fake name, like a John Smith or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, who, who is this? And I would say the fake name, but he used that one commonly, so I don't want anybody to Google it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So he would just constantly use fake names so that he, his name wouldn't be on any on paperwork anything. to be tied yeah, to anything? exactly, exactly. Oh, that makes sense, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it worked out. It was fine. I do that when I sign in. When You ever have to go to a building, they like sign in first, and oh, I just yeah. go like, Captain America. I'm like, no, <laughs> exactly. what happens if something goes down? Check. I'm not going to exactly. give you a record of this. Exactly. Um, yeah, so vacations. Uh, I do want to tell you what I know. We had, uh, well, two, two main vacations, I guess I should tell you about. One is this place called Lagotur, which was like a common thing was we would just drive through South America to other places to see things. Like one time we went to La Piedra del Peñol, which is this like giant meteor that fell in South America. Mm-hmm. And you can go up it through this like rickety like wooden staircase all around it. To they the built top. a staircase on a meteor? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so nice. it's like as tall as a huge fucking building. I don't know which one, but I remember almost dying and I was like six. And I'm like, this is hell. Uh, <sighs> so we went to stuff like that. But Lago Tour was this place that was like a water park, right? With like tubes and stuff and pools. And it was owned by a friend of mine in school her, by her dad. So this was Maria Isabel. Maria Isabel Turns out it was like a guy who was like, her dad was a lower guy who worked that lower in the level than my dad. You know? For the cartel. Yeah. yeah, for the cartel. And this was one of the first times that I kind of started to figure it out because I would go to play at her house and that's when I met her sister. She had like a younger sister. Yeah. Who was missing an arm. And then later I found out that it was because uh, during an assassination attempt on the beach, she was riding horses with her dad and somebody shot at them and they shot her in the arm and they had to cut oh. her arm off. Um, but we would go to her dad's like, you know, Damn. now I realize that all these businesses were like were what they were like funneling money through. <laughs> but we would just like once a year go to Lago Tour and just have like this great summer vacation where we ride horses and like do all this. And then now I remember this big like balcony where they had a big dining table there would just be all these dudes sitting around and like servants bringing them food and everything and they're just like talking business and that's why we were there <laughs> like when i was a little kid i was like oh we're on vacation but it was totally like what we do is we go to different locations to all meet up and have discussions and, and have decisions. fun while you're there yeah exactly this reminds me of Peyton. i saw peyton manning um they have the Super Bowl. Yeah. Me and a girl went to uh, to uh, Disneyland, mm-hmm. and he was there on on a thing. Yeah, I'm like, he just finished Super Bowl yesterday, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, his kids are probably there, and he's like, you go ride the rides. Yeah. Daddy's paying some bills. Exactly, I'm making a million. You guys just go do some stuff while I'm yeah, doing man. this. Yeah, so that's how it's so. Wait, so how'd you know you were poor? How'd you know you weren't poor when you saw the poor? Like, oh, you just tell uh, it was different because of this. Yeah, but so that's one of the things that I was going to tell you about is that uh, it was never. Like, we weren't separate from the rest of the world. My dad brought us to see them all the time. Okay. We went to church in the poor neighborhoods um, uh, regularly. So, in Medellin, there's a river called the Rio de Medellin. <laughs> They're not yeah. creative about it. Um, but this river, like, all the really, really poor people, like, the homeless people lived on the banks of the river. Like, they would wash their clothes in the river, like in India, you know. And Pablo and my dad... Well, my dad would take us, like, I would say maybe, like, twice a month on the weekend. We would go 
and buy like a shit ton, like a truck filled of groceries. And then we would go down to the river and my dad would just have us hand out bags of groceries to children, to poor children and their moms. And he would just tell us like, you always need to remember that not everybody has what you have and that what you have will not always be there. All right. And I remember this uh-huh. since I was like five years old, that that's the lesson in life is you will not always have what you have. And a lot of people don't have what you have. So appreciate it. You think they knew how temporary it was, how dangerous a job that was? I think was? so. Yeah, I think so. None of them planned ahead. None of them. Yeah, it was. And they were boys, man. My dad died at 36. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to be his age. <laughs> and when you see these, these characters, them or others like that yeah. on TV, you ascribe yeah. to them this like, sort of knowledge of, of the world. Yeah. But it's like, they didn't study. No, you know, he stopped to going like, to school at 11 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing, honestly, is that, and that's why I have some pride because there was strategy and intelligence and good business behind it. And I learned um, an ability, I think, to appreciate loyalty in a very specific way of like, um, I can give it and I think I can earn it from people pretty easily, mm-hmm. but it's always conditional. It's always a matter of how we treat one another. Things can always change. You know, I understand things come to an end. I don't know. I think I got a lot of good lessons out of my dad's choices, and, you know? Right. Um, but the other main place that we would go on vacation, not to switch it back, would be to La Hacienda Napolis, which was Pablo's Hacienda. Have you heard anything about that? Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, Pablo took the animal thing a little farther, right? Uh-huh. Uh, my dad, okay, my dad was really crazy about animals. He would just like randomly show up at the house with animals. Your uh, dad would? Yeah. And the main thing is because I told you he would sell cigarettes and cheese on the street and whatnot, right? So he had a really soft spot for uh, beggars for, you know, on the street. And in Colombia and in all of South America, really, there's, more, there's a lot of kids on the street that, like, don't just beg, but they'll do things. Like, I'll eat glass or I'll jump off this bridge if you give me money. Like, tricks. Like, oh, they'll what? be like, I can do this thing or I can ride this horse upside down or whatever. Like, all this dangerous shit. And my dad would stop every time he would see one he would stop and pay them not to do it and like give them all the money they would have made that day he would tell them how much money would do you normally make doing this and give them double that so they wouldn't jump off the bridge or eat the glass or whatever it would be uh and then his like pet peeve was beggars with animals right so one oh, time, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. So one time he came home with a monkey one of those that plays the cymbals you know uh-huh. and begs for money and he just like paid the guy and was like, you go make money on your own. Give me this monkey. <laughs> and he came home with this monkey that anytime people would like come to the house, he would just walk around pulling on their clothes and holding up his hand asking for coins. <laughs> really? He was thing. so trained to do that? Yeah, yeah. That, that's just how he interacted with everybody that came. Uh, the other monkey that we had. <laughs> was, the other monkey yeah, that we yeah, had. Yeah. Minuto. Minuto. Um, he only ate, you know, those hard candies that have like honey inside. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's the only thing this monkey would eat. And he would open them up. How long would he live? I don't know. We had him. He ran away into the forest behind our house because my mom chased him with a hose. There's tons of honey candy out there. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> Your mom but, chased him with a hose? Yeah, Why? Because yeah. he bit my cousin and ripped off his fingernail. <laughs> but oh, my really? cousin deserved it. He was like poking in the cage or whatever. <laughs> but this monkey would like uh, crack candies, eat, suck out the candy, and then like lick the hard shell and stick it to his body hair and then get up onto the chandelier in the dining room <laughs> and just peg people with the hard candy part uh-huh. on top of the head, like right on your head. So my mom was just like sick of this fucking animal. Like always, she was just fighting with the animals. Understandably. Yeah, yeah. This is, not, this is not what I wanted in my house. No, he brought, I think at one point we had 21 dogs. Um, a lot I of them know. went 
to the ranch, you know. Um, we had one time he came home with a goose in a bag that he just like bought from somebody in the street, like just random. We had parrots, all sorts of freaking animals. So, uh, you gotta be trained to have money. I know. You have to be exactly. trained in how to have money. You can't, like, you can't, they're all gonna be the Beverly Hillbillies. I know, man. And all they want, and it's so weird because all he wanted to do is give it away. It was like to really? give it away to all these kids and all these people. And so, uh, yeah, so for with the river thing, uh, eventually Pablo and my dad had houses built along the banks of the river. And then one day we went down with Pablo's kids and everything, and they just had us hand out deeds to all the families. So they just gave away, I think it was like houses. 150 houses. How yeah. many? 150. 150 houses yeah, to the like, people that were washing their clothes by the rivers? Yeah, exactly. Um, Damn. Yeah, and that's why it was literally all the Colombian people against the government <laughs> with with Because they're like, you ain't doing shit for us. Yeah, he's at least helping. Yeah, Some people might die, but he's trying. Yeah, he's giving them uh, equipment to play soccer. He's Yeah, like it wasn't even like recruiting. <laughs> was there ever a level, this is getting ahead a little, but was mm-hmm. there ever a level of like, of like, um, Government, if you just stop fucking with them, there'd be no murders. Yeah, well, that the jail thing was an attempt at that. Um, that was so basically the jail thing was towards the end. I mean, we could skip towards the end a little bit, but he, uh, the United States, I mean, not to get into political shit too much, but the U.S. gives aid, you know, money mm-hmm. to Colombia and various other countries across the world. And this money is always attached to rules that they have to follow right and the particular deal with Colombia was one where they would give them part of the aid and money and part in equipment which was like old equipment that the American armies didn't want basically yeah um and then suddenly they added one year I think in 1990 that extradition treaty was mandatory and that the Colombian government had to give them permission to spray the coke fields, okay? Colombian government had to give the Americans permission to spray it with what? To spray it with poison so that you couldn't grow coke. Coca, right? But the problem was that the number one export in Colombia is flowers, the number two export is coffee, the number three export is bananas, and the number four export is cocaine. So when the government agreed... The Colombian government, because it was a bunch of pussies who needed the money, we yeah. were like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever you want. They destroyed the economy. Like They destroyed the, all the fields? Yeah. They, they made the majority of the fields in Colombia ungrowable so that you can't grow coffee or flowers or bananas so that all those farmers then were the ones that went off to become members of guerrillas that are now killing people and doing all this stuff. They created an environment. Yeah, where they, they have no option. They were right. farmers. What else am I supposed to do now? So, I heard somebody say that about Eric Garner. We're like, don't worry about somebody selling loose cigarettes. Worry about what makes someone yeah. feel the only way they can make money is to sell loose cigarettes. Exactly, exactly. So, and to feel like no government's on my side because you let them do this. Yeah. So, after the spraying started, then the U.S. was in talks with Colombia to catch Pablo and extradite him. And Pablo came out and was like, here's the deal. I'll turn myself in with like all my top guys if you promise not to extradite me. You know, we just do a deal that you're not going to extradite me. So that's when he went to this fake jail. <laughs> uh, and chilled there, I think it was like six months or something, or like eight just months. live large. Yeah, yeah. But when he decided to do this, uh, my dad and my Uncle Juan were the only ones that didn't go with him. Yeah. My dad... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Juan did go with him. Juan went with him. My dad didn't go with him. And my dad and my mom decided that they were going to get out, right? Of the cartel? Yeah, yeah. Like, out of the life, period. Right? So, 
uh, because it seemed, you know, like if Pablo's making this deal, we're on our way out. Like this is now we're on international like FBI wanted lists. And, got like, too all big. This. Yeah, exactly. So my dad uh, and my mom were planning to get out of it. Um, oh, but do you want me to tell you about Hacienda Annapolis before I tell you yeah, about yeah, the yeah. end? Yeah, yeah, I also have a question about that anyway. When, so when you start noticing what your dad does, mm-hmm. you, what did we say, like hints at it first? And then like eventually do you ever confront him and say, well, what's your real job, man? No, man. Uh, he died when I was 10. So I definitely did not get to that point. Okay. Um, I got to the point where I recognized that like we weren't like everyone else, that it's secretive, that people treat us with deference and like a weird kind of scared respect sometimes, you know? It's um, really tough to make friends. Yeah. And you start to notice and... But I never, you don't really know people that aren't like that. You know what I mean? Uh, every, almost everyone, like, all of my mom's are, friends are widows now. Like, all the kids, all my cousins are in similar situations. We all live the same kind of life. We all ended up in the same way. Um, but I do want to tell you about Hacienda Annapolis, just because yeah. it's cool. Cause, so Pablo went crazy with the animal stuff, right? And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. Sure, it was and, like, even further, because Brought he... peacocks, right? When, yeah, like, they he don't was, live like, here. illegally like, bringing them from other countries, right? And what he did is that he had this giant piece of land, and his house was right in the middle, but then the whole area around it was a animal preserve <laughs> <laughs> that he... It was open to the public, and, like, any day you would just see, like, school buses full of children going through and seeing the animals. It was, like... Animal Kingdom, but wow. in Colombia and free, and courtesy of Pablo Escobar. <laughs> and uh, in the summer, we would go stay with him and his kids and his wife. And he had like a big grotto. Like it looks like when I first saw the Playboy Mansion, I was like, oh, it looks like Pablo's home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Um, but he had hippos brought. This is the one that I wanted to tell you because I remember when the hippos were brought. So he had some hippos and they built like a thing like a little lake or whatever hippos live in i don't know and we would go out there and feed them i remember the hippos aren't they super dangerous yeah they're super dangerous so check this out so (laughs) they were great pablo loved them he would pet them they're like the most dangerous animal in africa Africa. right yeah exactly they kill more than any other animal yeah so this dude decided i need these babies in my house (laughs) so he got i think it was three of them and one of them was named vanessa that was a girl and he would feed them like we would feed them lettuce and he just thought it was hilarious and <laughs> the weird thing about these fucking hippos Ari is that you know you would think okay Pablo Escobar like really left a mark upon the world right like especially me like growing up now I'm so weird to hear him mentioned in rap songs and movies and like all this stuff this guy who was my godfather who was like just the guy that we hung out with you know Yeah. and he really fucking left an earth mark in, in the sense that he brought these fucking hippos, right, from Africa. And then when he died, uh, all the animals were dispersed to different zoos across across South America and some even to the United States, I think. But the problem with hippos is that they're extremely territorial. And you can't add a hippo to an existing herd because they will kill her. Oh, really? Yeah. So as much as they tried, there was no zoo or preserve that was willing to take them. Um, And then they considered trying to send them back to Africa but then Africa was like hell no they're gonna have diseases from that river and now they like eat different shit and they just aren't African hippos anymore 
So now there's a whole new species of hippos that is being renamed because now they're South American hippos. Colombian hippos? Yeah. <laughs> now there's Colombian hippos that there did not used to be. You can look it up after we're done. They have multiplied. So they spent the last 20 years, they broke out of their enclosure after they were literally left in their enclosure. They just left them there. They just left them there. And eventually got out. They got out. And then... A fence fell. Yeah. So they started hearing reports of like farmers shooting hippos and farmers being attacked by hippos because the hippos were like trying to eat their crops. What? And like, yeah. So now they've moved down river and there's just apparently at the last count like 79 hippos <laughs> from three. <laughs> These aren't the original. These are just the, the children These of. These are the children of all those hippos. Yeah, that's of the ones awesome. I gave lettuce to. Isn't it awesome? I think it's so hilarious. So you would they, feed them lettuce. They would leave you alone. They would. Yeah, like, no, run, they were totally cool. They just like laid in the thing. Yeah. Oh, is that why they kill so many in, Af- in Africa? Because they're territorial. We're like yeah, coming into exactly. our territory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. And so now it's happening in South America, and it's all popular. Did you go in? Yeah. Did you go in the enclosures, or you just fed them over the fence? No, you feed them over the thing, but they—they oh, okay. they weren't like really. It had like big rocks in front of the water, so you could just like reach over the rocks. So I think they could have gotten out at any point, really. Now that I think about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the government just gave up. Like, who's going to take these hippos? So they just left them there to die. And then now there's so there's 79 of them. Africa won't take them back. There has been like a bunch of plans to shoot them all. Like shoot them all. Get yeah. all set. All, but yeah, there's not that many. PETA or whoever, all these people are like, you can't fucking kill 80 hippos for no reason. <laughs> so now it looks like they're just going to be left to become natural part of the environment. Wow. <laughs> like that frog in Australia. Yeah, exactly. So now they're Colombian hippos. I, I wonder if they're going to like name them like Escobar. They should name yeah, Escobar hippos. Right? I know. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, 100 years, when, people are like, what is that? Why are they called Escobars? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so it should be fun. But yeah, I bet they'll start to like uh, mutate too to the yeah. environment. Yeah. After I don't know how many generations. I know exactly. Well, so I did think of something actually when okay. you said like, how do you know what your dad did? I think yeah. um, so. I do remember at one point, like I remember the first time I ever saw a dead body. Yeah. And I was in going to school on the bus. Um, there was like a guy on the side of the road in his underwear, like blue underwear. I even remember it. And then I had to come home and ask my mom about it. Like, we weren't allowed to see the news or anything. But then my mom told me, like, oh, this is how Colombia is. So then I started watching, like, literally. Oh, he, was, is- he was got- stripped he, and killed. Yeah, he was stripped and killed and, like, tortured, apparently. Like, and dumped you know. by the side of the road. Yeah, exactly. And then my mom had to explain that to me. And then less than a year from that, um, there was a bombing. So in the house that was, like, in the middle of the valley... I was sitting with one of my little cousins on a couch like this near a big glass sliding door. And then my little cousin was like, I'm thirsty. So we walked down the stairs to the kitchen to go get something to drink. And as soon as we got to the landing downstairs, we just heard like a huge explosion and all of the glass in my house shattered. Everything. I'm talking like screen, TV screens, everything shattered. And the sliding glass window or door next to the couch where we were sitting just fell directly on the couch where we were like 30 seconds earlier it would have killed oh. both of us and then it turns out that what that was was the bombing of the intercontinental hotel mm-hmm. which was i think it, i don't even know but i think it was an attempt from the cali cartel to kill some important people they were visiting in the hotel and you blew up the whole hotel well they put a car bomb in the bottom so the you know being a valley like the it just reverberates oh. up that up the valley kind of uh, but it was like close enough that I remember that cops had to come and like pick up arms from my backyard in garbage bags. No way. Yeah. So then you start to see 
you know, things like that. And like people dying, just like so and so, and that never comes back again. And would you talk to your friends about it? Like, well, what happened to them? Or- Not really. I mean, I didn't really have fa- friends outside of my family too much. And like, you'd see kids in school, but you didn't talk about this stuff. I mean, well, but how do you know not to talk about it? You just don't talk about it. <laughs> like that's always so weird there's just like you don't it's not it doesn't involve you and I was like nine you know what I mean so you can live on your life and not really talk about it but you kind of just start to realize that like death is part of your life yeah. and that violence is part of your life and it just kind of becomes like a normal thing um yeah I don't know I heard uh Coolio once talking on uh the old John Stewart show mm-hmm. on uh, UPN yeah and Stewart was making fun of himself for like you know having some guy taking his lunch money and he goes i never had to deal with drive-bys or anything like yeah. that you had a tougher life yeah but coolio's point was like to a kid it's all takes an equal place in their yeah, life exactly where it's just you avoid that guy exactly and there's yeah. no exactly and it was and it was really weird because you get those weird vibes but then on the the other side like another example of weird vibes my cousin's first communion oh, yeah. so i didn't tell you about this yeah um so i told you that my dad had four sisters really right good. yeah one of his sisters married a top guy in the Cali cartel. What's the Cali cartel? The Cali cartel is basically the same thing, except that they were in the city called Cali. Okay. And so they were basically the competing faction for trafficking drugs out of Colombia. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So the whole, the yeah. whole violence is not, like, it's not within the Medellin cartel people try to kill each other. It's Medellin versus Cali. Oh, for sure in narcos it was all it was pretty much just getting over the government to let them do their thing. Anyone who's gotten their way of, of just no. dealing the stuff safely and, 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 and without violence, they would get stopped. No, it was very much oh. the it was partially attacking, you know, uh, leaders, like government leaders that were getting uh-huh. in their way. And then the other part of it was competition amongst them. The other cartels who wanted cartels. those territories. Yeah, that makes exactly. a lot more sense. Or not even territories, because remember I never saw drugs until I lived in the United States. Really? Yeah, like nobody does them. I remember I have one memory of a party in my backyard where there was like all these dudes that just looked like important men and I saw one man like now as an adult I was like, oh, that was cocaine. I wonder how more of them didn't get into coke. They just didn't. They didn't. They were young guys whose it was their business and they just, it wasn't for us. You know, it was was my job to do this thing. Um, But so Anna married this dude from the other cartel and it was very weird because they had like a strange marriage where he lived in Cali but she Anna is my dad my aunt my dad's sister that married the guy from the opposite cartel so she lived in Cali for a while but then she moved back to Medellin and she lived in this apartment like in a penthouse in the city and I just remember my mom saying she wasn't allowed to leave like her husband didn't let her leave the house so there was like her bodyguards were like there to not let her leave really (laughs) yeah because I guess they had gotten into a fight and they were like, she wanted to leave him, but there's no way you just leave that man. So he just let her live in Medellin so she could be near her mom. But the only way that I saw my cousins and my aunt was that I would have to go there to visit them. And then once in a while, my cousins would come with like my grandma or something like that to our house. But so basically it was because our dads were enemies, right? Um, and then... My, the oldest cousin from that marriage, Catalina, when it was time for her first communion, right? It was like a huge party, like mine. But both cartels were invited. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So this was at their ranch house. And I remember, dude, it was huge. It was like with 
uh, Ferris wheels and like popcorn machine. It was like a huge because like, of the intermarriage. Yeah, exactly. So because of the intermarriage, no one saw that. Like, hey, we should decide who comes or have two separate. Yeah, parties. well, what they decided to do was like it was like a what do you call that um, truce? Truce. Yeah, like no no problems here. Okay, you know so. Uh, everybody was like real polite but like I remember as a kid just feeling the tension of like all these people on this side and all these people on this side because even there's no violence it's not like they're going to be friendly all of a sudden yeah Yeah. exactly yeah so it was very much like the wives talking to each other and the the kids playing together but then it was like over here come over here (laughs) you know like you would just talk to that kid yeah exactly exactly or like uh, I remember that my brother came like really happy because my uncle you know the guy from the other cartel gave him like uh, 10,000 bucks which is like I don't know, like $10, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he like ran to my dad and was like, oh, look, he gave me money. And my dad made him give it back. My dad we didn't like, want that guy's money? No, he was just like, you don't need that. Go give it back to him. Also, like he that. must have been giving it to your, to your brother. He was just giving, that's what they did. They gave to all the kids, like whatever. And it was like a carnival theme party. So there was like uh, games that you could play and you could like tip the guy and you know, whatever. So yeah, yeah, he just gave him money. But my dad was like, no, you need to go give that money back. <laughs> and that kind of thing. Then later, it turns out, well, I'll tell you I'll tell you about that later. But we can go back to the end. Let's go to the end, yeah? The end? No. No, not yet? Tell no. me. You have questions? What are your yeah, questions? Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, what's, uh, well, I don't know what the end is. Mm. Hold on. So, you're here. Okay. So, you're in this place. You're Columbia. Now, you move back to America? Or no, you're fully living in oh. Columbia now? Well, we were fully living in Colombia, and then we moved to LA when this thing happened. When Pablo was like, "I'm going to turn myself in," blah, blah, blah. and then you got you guys just got out. Well, you never we had tried. that moment of like the, when Meadow found out her father like finally realized was like a soprano. Is this a soprano reference? Yeah, I don't watch that shit. Uh, no, because also wasn't she a teenager? I never yeah, got to that. She was like fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, you're right. I never got to that. I got to the inklings of like, wait, my dad's not like other dads, but right. I never got to like, why exactly isn't he like other dads? Yeah. And, uh, well, I could tell you like the last month that I remember with my dad, <laughs> which was, so this is what happened. So they had all agreed, I guess, right. That this is what they were going to do. My dad decided he was going to get out. Uh, remember that they have American children, right? So, so they can get in. Yeah. So my mom went to LA and they set everything up in LA and, oh no, this was even before Pablo. Yeah. Yeah. It was before Pablo did this. They tried, this is the first time they tried to get out. So the first time they tried to get out, we moved to Los Angeles. All right, this is we went to a Montessori school, we bought a house, like everything, like they liquefied a bunch of money and then just moved to LA. We were there three months, and then um, an old friend of my dad's, they ran into each other somewhere in LA. An old friend of yours, yeah. Yeah, and then he was like, Oh, we should all have dinner. So they went out, like, with their wives to have dinner. And it turns out that the LAPD had been following that dude. Okay. So they were like listening to that dude's conversations because whatever he was involved in. And then because he met up with my dad, who they couldn't find anything on, but he's Colombian and just moved here, they started watching my house and my family. So these cops showed up. You're going to skip by this? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. No, and then my mom gets kidnapped in 2000. There's like a... (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Yeah, let's get to that later. (laughs) I know. Exactly. So... So they start watching you guys. They start watching and then... But you're out at this point. Yeah, we're out. So there's nothing to see. Well, what there is to see is... Other than a giant amount of money from a guy who's a cobbler or something. Explainable income source and that kind of thing. So... 
they are just watching, and then they actually came to the house when they, one day, and they searched the house. They didn't have warrants, okay? They searched the house, and my mom was like, she let them in, because she was like, we don't, we don't have anything. Come on in. See, whatever. Yeah. They confiscated $50,000 that was in the safe in cash. Really? Yeah. Because I never understood how they just take money and be like, it's too much money. We got to yeah, have well, it. Like, they it's not a, yours. So they write a receipt for it, right? But they told my mom that the law is that they write your receipt for 10% of the amount. Okay? And my mom was like, okay, great, thanks. So they left with the money with some documents. My dad was there during this, right? Yeah. They found nothing else, so the cops left. And then my dad was like... Yo, this is, this is not cool. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's not okay. I think I'm just going to go to Colombia for a week or so. I'll come back. Well, everything should be fine if it's just you guys. Because my mom's clean, you know. No, she's never done anything, so. Um, she stayed away from all of it? Yeah. So, my dad leaves. And then, no lie, the next day, the cops show up again. And this time, they have a warrant. And they said that it's because of the illicit funds that they found in the safe. And whatever, yeah. They arrested my mom. Really? Yeah, my mom spent ten days in jail in L.A. They took my brother and I to a house, like a home. I still remember it's called McLaren Home for Kids. Some with shit with cartel parents. <laughs> no, whose parents are in jail. And honestly, that's the first time I think that I really met like a poor black kid. You know? <laughs> and I, no, for real. And I was just like, oh, so criminal so my parents are criminals like that was the one i understood not because he was black but because when i talked to them it was uh, my dad got caught robbing a house or my you know like yeah. it was like oh okay and that was the yeah difference. you guys all do this stuff yeah so that means my parents did yeah. some shit got it and my brother and i were in there for like a week totally just like seems like a willy wonka kind of fucked up memory of like staying in a fucked up camp like i don't know how else to put it to you because it was like you can't you couldn't take your belongings uh, they gave me, my mom, when they arrested her, she gave me the remote control to the garage. And she was like, because I'm going to call a lawyer and they'll get you out. And then you can go to the house. And so we were in there less than a week. And then my grandmother, my mom's mom, came to L.A. And with a lawyer, got, my mom, got me and my brother out. And when we went back to our house in L.A., completely empty. The cop, when they dropped us off in that McLaren home or whatever, took all of my brother's and mine's personal belongings, including the garage door opener. So they went back to fu- try to find drugs in the house, right? Well, they emptied the whole house? They emptied the whole house. My mom... Furniture? Yeah, furniture. So after what? my mom got the out... LAPD? Yeah, LAPD. And then they dropped the charges, <laughs> okay? Because they were like, oh, just kidding. Nothing that we can prove here. You can go. And they let her go, but then they were like, we don't know what happened. Like, they told us we had to fill out a separate police report for the robbery of our house and all this shit. So my mom sued the LAPD and got money from them for false arrest and for all this stuff. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so that's Good. part one of my mom's problem. <laughs> yeah. And, but because of this LA thing, my dad didn't come back from Colombia. My mom, when she got out, we just packed up all our shit and we went back to Colombia. Right? Oh. And then it's probably like 1990 at this point. They're like, fuck it, we're not safe here anymore. Yeah, exactly. They were like, not LA, fuck it. Like, to this day, my mom hates LA and like, she'll never go there. And uh, we went back to Colombia. And then pretty soon after that, that's when Pablo had this plan of uh, we're going to turn in. ourselves in so that we can try to fuck up the deal with the United States, et cetera. 
Um, yeah. But since like all the poor people are on their side, like the jailers didn't lock the doors. Like it was just like you. Ch- it's like a big ranch with gates, but we don't lock the gates. Like you're fine. <sighs> so they had a big soccer field, and the soccer players would come and visit them, and their families would come every weekend. They just couldn't leave. They just couldn't leave. And your dad like, didn't turn himself in either. No, my dad did not turn himself in because my dad. The, the plan was okay. We'll try again. We'll go to Miami, right? So my mom. Oh, they didn't hate America. They just hated L.A. L.A. Yeah, exactly. Well, to be honest, the LAPD is, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. was known as a exactly, corrupt organization. Exactly, exactly. So we go to my. Well, my mom goes to Miami to set up her residency to like you know get like a legal residence card and all of that shit. Uh-huh. So she goes to Miami and she rents a townhouse for us and she starts like setting up all the utilities and like all the shit like we live here. And she was in Miami, I think, for like three weeks, right? And that month that we were alone with my dad, that was the last month we were ever with our dad. So my dad, since my mom was gone and we weren't, uh, I think we were on vacation at the beginning, uh, the national team, the Colombian national team, trained at this big hotel, like kind of outside the city a little bit. Yeah. So we just stayed for three weeks at the training camp for the soccer, for the soccer team. And... We just lived in this hotel, and then every morning my dad would go watch them practice and hang out with the soccer players, and that was our vacation while my mom was setting everything up in Miami. So your dad, at this point, you, you think he's just out-out? He's not dealing with any of it anymore? No, I think he's on his way out. Okay. Yeah, because he's dealing with whatever he's got to deal with in Colombia, and my mom is setting up where we're going. Which means on his way out means like... I mean, if I wanted a quick comedy, I couldn't just say, I'm done right now. I have to be like, let me you do all my road gigs. dates. Like, yeah, let, me, let me tell exactly. this person, oh, he uh, wants me to come back next year. Okay, yeah. let me just slowly um, get on my way. Exactly. Liquidate assets. Because remember that they also didn't have fucking bank accounts with their names on them. <laughs> they didn't have property. Yeah, what do they do with all the money? Yeah, so everything was in properties in their mom's names and in their, like, all this kind of stuff. So you sell houses when you need money for something or you sell a thing and, oh. you know. Um, that's I, how you had your money instead of storing it under the fucking you sofa bought, you just yeah. buy a bought house properties, you're like, now yeah. I, that's worth this or much or invest in businesses I remember there was a shoe factory that we went to all the time that then really? my mom was just like oh yeah your dad owns that factory <laughs> and I was like okay huh? and that like, was like on the level yeah just yeah. like I don't know uh-huh. yeah uh, one of my aunts ran the factory like actually as a factory really yeah and then she just was like I don't know what else they do but that's I just run the books. Like even if it breaks even, it's yeah. like fine. I just yeah, need a place exactly. to put my money. You jobs, you know. Yeah. You just have to have all your family working. So oh yeah, like, why not? That's to save great. Jobs for the aunts and the that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my dad was yeah setting everything up here or in Colombia rather, and then the training camp ended and we went back to our house in Medellin. The training camp for the soccer team. Okay. Where we were on vacation, just watching them train. Like basically, I guess like people go to like NFL. Spring training. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. like that. Um, oh yeah they do that for NFL too yeah yeah so we went back to our house and it was like the first week back to school and I remember I had a big project to do and my dad sat on the floor with me in the foyer or whatever and we made this big poster board stayed up late and then I went to bed right I was not no I was 10 and then apparently what happened is that after I went to bed my mom and my dad talked on the phone she's in Miami he's in Columbia yeah so my mom and my dad talked on the phone and my mom says, I'm not going to come back this week. I'm going to stay an extra week so I can hang out with my friends. Okay. So yeah. and this is, you know, my mom is like 24 or some shit. No, how old is she? 28. Yeah. She's like 28 at this point. 
know at this point 30 31 30 31 somewhere around there okay that's older yeah but still she had kids at 19 or 18 she never developed yeah no and she never had fun and freedom like i never that was the first time ever that we weren't with our mom so i think it was like oh for the first time i'm away from my kids i'm hanging out with my friends in miami having a good time yeah. you know she also obviously went with money you know. so i love those moms who like big jay's mom who's yeah. like i was like talking about her dating and i was like what because i don't know man, she was 29 yeah 29 exactly. year old yeah totally she so she was like oh i'm gonna stay another week so apparently my dad got furious and hung up on her and left the house without his bodyguards and it seems like people were watching the house because um, less than a mile from the house, they like two cars blocked off his car, and then somebody just walked up and shot him in the back of the head through the car window. Yeah. So the next day, I woke up. Who? We'll get to that. Okay. So the next day, I woke up and I was like, "Oh shit! I'm late for school. Why didn't anybody wake me up?" And I went to the maid, and I'm like, oh, my God, I had a project to turn in. Why didn't we go to school? And she just, like, her and the bodyguard, they just kept giving us the runaround. Like, they kept saying, like, oh, school was canceled. Your mom is coming home today. But she's in Miami. Yeah, yeah, but she's coming home today. And where's, your, where's dad? Well, he's not here. Don't worry about it. Like, they just didn't want to be the ones to tell us that uh-huh. our dad had died, but they didn't want us to go to school and have some kid tell us. So they just kept us in the house. And then nobody told us for the whole entire day. And then that night, my mom came home. Um, apparently, you know, it was pre-9-11, so they did, like, that whole, like, emergency flight. Like, they put her on a flight with no screening and, like, sent her home because of bereavement or whatever. Yeah. So she got home super fast, and they had the funeral. And then they came home and told us that... Wait, they had the funeral where? In Colombia. without okay. tell- Yeah, like, the whole family went, but they didn't tell my brother and I, because... You didn't go? No. <laughs> No, apparently my mom and my dad had discussed it already. You know, I guess you prepare when you have that kind of life. And he said that he just didn't want their last, our last memory to be of his dead body. He didn't want us to be able to remember him dead, basically. So my mom came home, like grandma, aunts, everyone, and they were just like all dressed in black and all crying. And then my mom just told us that my dad died. And then a month later, she finished wrapping everything up and selling what she could, and we moved to Miami. Do you feel like a... Gypped is not a word you're supposed to use anymore, but like gypped for not being able to go to the funeral? Mm-mm. No, not at all. Um, I really actually do see she my just, dad's point. You know, I, yeah. don't, I don't have a visual memory of what my dad looks like dead. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I did hear later that like sad stuff like my little cousin who was like four years old who loved my dad like just started screaming crying in the middle of the funeral and like he went that kind of stuff just made me realize like oh i don't i'm glad that i wasn't there to see that yeah yeah i don't need to yeah, see I was that probably smart about it yeah exactly so you know it was fine and we moved to the united states again to miami and then my mom lived off of we're still getting to who did it Oh, to who did it? Well, I learned later, actually, probably like less than two months later, I was hanging out with those cousins that I was telling you about. In, intermarried and, cousins? Yeah. The other cartel? Yeah, exactly. And the boy just like casually was like, so did your mom tell you that it was my dad? And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was my dad that had your dad killed. Yeah. So it was my uncle who gave the order to have my dad killed. Wow. And it was my cousin who told me so. Um, yeah, really weird. And then... But then that guy, my uncle, he turned up dead probably like eight months later. Revenge? 
it looks like it. He was tortured to death. Like all his na- fingernails were, were pulled out. And like, was he bragging about it? I don't know. I mean, his kid knew. I guess his kid knew. People knew, and they know. They like know who gives the orders and stuff. And the Medellin cartel was definitely more powerful. So, to go for something that high, there's going to be retribution. You know what I mean? Um, but so what happened is Pablo went into that jail, right? So my dad was killed in '92. Pablo went into this jail, and then when there in what, was... In 93. 93. I think 92, he went in the same year that my dad was killed. After yeah. your dad was killed? I think maybe, like, right the same month. It was, like, everything happened then. Um, so Pablo went into that jail, and then he was in there for a few months, and then I guess something happened where it seemed like there were rumors that the government was going to play ball with America again. And deport them. And, and export them. Or yeah. What is it? Extradite. Extradite them. And... So they just walked out. <laughs> so they just walked out of jail. Except for my uncle. The one uncle who went with him to jail was like, I'm good. I'm just going to stay here and serve my whole sentence. <laughs> and he fucking stayed. Really? And he's the only one who's still alive. And he's a dishwasher in Hialeah now in Florida. None of his money left. None of his money left. None of us have it. My mom, we lived for a while on like whatever she could um, liquefy before we moved. And then there were some men, like some of the guys that worked for my dad that owed him. Oh, your dad? Mm-hmm. Then they came and gave money to his widow, you know? Um, like, right. they paid their debts to his widow, basically. There wasn't a, uh, well, he's dead, fuck him. There no. was more of an attitude of, like... Yeah, it was respect. To what we should yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Um, is, that your, is your name your real last name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but most people knew my dad by his nickname, and then, like, they would call me, like, the diminutive of his nickname, <laughs> because I look like him. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was his nickname? La Garra. What does that mean? La Garra is, well, it means like... G-A-R-R-A? G-A-R-R-A. It basically means like uh, the tough skin, but it's specifically the name for, you know, on pork rinds or when you make chicharron. Uh-huh. The tough, hard crackling? skin on the side. Yeah, like the crackling. Yeah, so that was his nickname. Was What's like, your, Garita? La Garrita. La yeah. Garita? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like whenever, I, th- I remember it, uh, as a teenager, the last time I went to Colombia was when I was 17. And I was at my grandma's house and it was just like old dude after old, old dude just being like, oh man, La Garrita, como estas niña, como estas de grande. Like right away, just like, Oh, you look exactly like your dad. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks. Can't show my face around here. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was pretty good. But, um, so, yeah, go. Okay. So, you, how far into your notes did you get? Pretty far. We just, or uh, we got all the way to dad dying. And then, what have you left out? I've left out what happened after dad dies. Okay. Nothing before. No, I don't think so. Let's see. So, what was the it. feeling like now you're suddenly. We have a little bit in common this way, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you're suddenly like, life's different now. Boom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what, what's the, is it helplessness? Is it just like, why is it being done this way? Why are we suddenly? Man, um, it, I don't think I felt helplessness. I think my brother would say, he was younger than me. Uh-huh. I think he would say helplessness. I think I felt more of like a disconnect all of a sudden. From identity is what I would say, because Why? even moving a lot, it was always really clear, you know, who you are. Like, I understand I'm Colombian. I had a big family. I live a certain lifestyle. I am treated a certain way. And then all of a sudden that was all gone. Like all of a sudden now 
we went to like my mom not being able to pay rent and like us having poor yeah to just poor and like having to lie to the landlord when he would show up and be like oh my mom's not here because we're two weeks late on the rent or whatever um going to public school um i spoke some english because i went to private schools always but I basically just like watch stand up at night huh. <laughs> when I moved to Miami, and that's how I learned Spanish or like English oh, really? really well. Yeah, I was watching stand up. Probably learned fuck really fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Wait, your, like, mom, your mom couldn't look. Sorry, go ahead. No, it was just like a disconnect because there was also like still the idea of you can't talk about this, right? Oh. So there was no way to connect with the people that I met here. I obviously wasn't like them, and they weren't like me. But I, it, it's really weird. It's just, and and it persists now where I don't feel like I'm from anywhere because I'm not like my family in Colombia. You know, I'm, I'm American. I have a different lifestyle and views than they, they do, and experience than they do. But I'm also not like Americans. You know. Yeah, your mom couldn't liquidate enough money to to keep herself live forever. Okay. No. Not live forever, but like, yeah, I guess live forever in like a lower middle class. No, because there's also like transporting it and all of that. Um, yeah. So no, we did for a little bit and then she got remarried in like 1997 or 98 yeah. uh, to a Dominican guy who died in a motorcycle accident, all right, because his midlife crisis caused him to buy a motorcycle. Um, so then she was a widow again. You ever hear Bill Burr's bit about midlife crisis and buying a, like a Corvette? No. He's like, what are you supposed to buy a $90,000 car when you're 19? Yeah, that's With paper money? Of course it's a 45-year-old car. Uh, but this fucking moron, he got like a 45-year-old, he got himself one of those ninja, you know, uh-huh. like Yamaha things. And then he got in a car accident or like in a motorcycle accident and was in a full body cast for like six months. Mm. Right? So this accident happened three months into their marriage. And then six to nine months he spent in a full body cast. One week after getting out of the body cast, he bought another motorcycle, and one week after that, he died on it. Oh. Yeah. He was out of the cast two weeks, and then he died on another motorcycle. Lift to so ride, ride, like to a live. real moron, you know? Um, <laughs> he didn't like him. Yeah. Ah, he was just stupid and racist. Like, oh. See, I was going to say like most Dominicans, but then that makes me racist. So, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. But. So, you moved to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people knew who you were? Or you just told them the no, same, same thing? No, I always kept, yeah, I kept the lie. Yeah, the weird, the weird thing was uh, when I realized, um, so I made this friend in, in Miami yeah. who was Colombian, right, in public school. And then I went to her family's house, like to her house to hang out or whatever. I think we were in middle school. And her mom, like she was just like weird with me. I hadn't felt that weird deference in a long time. And then she eventually was like, yeah, I knew, I knew your dad and his brothers when they were little. We went to school. So, like, she knew the whole background of my family. Yeah. So she just, but she still, like, would never address it. But then when my mom would come pick me up, she still treated her very, like, oh, hi, like, respectfully. It's really weird to still have those people who are like, oh, we know that you were somebody important before. Or, to you and to your mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, no. She went into, uh, my mom is a housekeeper now. Um, she has, like, a lot of problems getting a job. Oh, because of the kidnapping shit. <laughs> I can't believe I was going to skip that. We'll get to that in a second. One, Let me ask you. not about narco-trafficking. Oh, yeah. just, oh, really? Well, it's tangentially related. Yeah. It's like an after effect of narco-trafficking. Oh, go ahead. Say it now. Then I'll ask for it. <laughs> I want to ask you more about that. Uh, pl- what's, what's this house called? Which one? La Tienda Napolis? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well. Were you, ga- were you guys out just, just playing? Was it like a fun? Yeah, man. It was My just, dad used to own a ranch. Yeah. And we went out there. It was like he took care of his like buying steer yeah. and shit. 
yeah. then we were just like, oh, there's a dog here we can play yeah, with. You can totally. go ride the horses. You could go mess with the animals. Yeah, we had a dog that would like bite the cow's like udders, and then you just see a cow chasing a dog. We would come up with games, and and all the kids would be there. Yeah, and it would be like the kids of like the servants with us too, and it was just everyone like always uh, every holiday um in colombia religious holidays are really big catholic holidays so there's like parades and shit every month for some saint or some whatever and it was always at our at our houses with like fireworks and like free food for everyone crazy party pork yeah yeah like how did your father get involved with them like how how did that start i really don't know man i would have to ask my mom how related was he to to uh to uh what's his name pablo pablo yeah Escobar. They weren't related. They were just friends. So it's just like childhood friends. Like here's a job. Yeah. The way it shows it in the in the TV show, it's yeah. like he's just a runner. Yeah. Just a smuggler or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, you know, like TV VCRs. Yeah. And then uh, a new product comes. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, he had his friends from his job that way. I guess was it yeah. like that? We're just like. I think so. I mean, I don't. I think that's the part that I know the least about is like the beginnings of all of it, and yeah. I think partially is like it's tough to get my mom to talk about it and it's tough to listen to it to be honest with you because uh so not that long ago i had my mom over and i was like you want to just watch a movie <laughs> She's like yeah so i don't know what the fuck i was thinking but i was like let's watch this bronx tale it's really good you'll really like it and we watched the whole movie and she doesn't say one word for the whole movie that's the one that's like the kid right yeah like the and the dad's a bus driver yeah that one okay uh-huh. yeah so we watched that whole fucking movie she doesn't say anything for the whole movie as soon as it ends she just looks at me and she goes you know your grandmother was like that bitch of a mother and I was like which bitch of a mother wouldn't, that wouldn't let the kid the one so that's what I said so I'm like what because also what the fuck are you talking about like this is two hours into this movie <laughs> she's been like, holding on to this, yeah, exactly. this weird hatred of yeah, like no one else exactly. even notices and I'm like what what are you talking about and she goes the kid's mom so do you remember the scene where they find the roll of money that the kid was hiding and then the dad De Niro is like we're gonna go downstairs and you're gonna give this back uh-huh. but then the mom is like but we could use this to pay the bills like, yeah. you know I understand that he got it from them but we should keep it because we need this money so my mom says that's how your mom's mom was In- the goody two shoes mom no she wanted the oh bench. your mom's mom not your dad's mom yeah, yeah. no my dad's mom my dad, the goody two shoes mom is my mom, my mom's uh, mom. Okay. My dad's mom was happy to have all of the benefits. But said she's above it? No, she would, no, the one that was above it was Pablo's mom. Okay. Not my grandma. Okay. <laughs> my dad's mom, basically, my mom was saying, like, instead of being a good mother and saying you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be going and hanging out with these men and going down this path, she was happy that he came home with money. She was happy that he was doing his job and bringing money to the family. So then my mom said, and she she loved it, and she's not the one that had to see how it destroyed him. All right? And then she proceeds to tell me that the first time she ever saw my dad cry was the first time that he had to kill someone because they were at that apartment that I mentioned, right? Where he was still like a low-level guy. Which apartment? Uh, when my mom first ran away from her husband. And in then, Columbia. In Colombia. Uh-huh. And then he got an apartment with her and with his best friend, okay? And him and his best friend both worked for whatever the organization was at that point. Yeah. And the best friend was the muscle. He was the one that they would send to beat up people and to kill people. And they sent him to kill somebody, that was very important. So then there was the need for them to kill him 
the hitman. Yeah, to kill the hitman so that they it couldn't be brought so back no, to them, and, yeah. you know, so that they could be like, well, what's we cle- we cleaned our end of the thing. This is what the guy who killed your father did not do. Huh? This is what the guy who kill- had your father killed did not do. Exactly. Yeah. And it got out. Exactly, and it got out. So my. So then they went to my dad and they said, nobody else can get close to this guy except for you. You're the one that has to kill him. His roommate. His best friend. Yeah. and Because he did his job right. Yeah. And my mom is like telling me the story and she goes, she's like, she knew, he knew that if he said no, they were going to kill him too. Yeah. And she said that he like, he just came home and opened the door and he had like blood on his shirt. And then she asked him, where is he? Like, where's your friend? You know, is he going to come home for dinner? And my dad just started crying and then, like, confessed to her. And then that was the first time she, like, had seen him just be weak and be hurt by this. And that as he got higher, you know, he wasn't the one that had to do these things. But he became this hardened man because of that, because of the things that he had to do to get this position, to get that money. Man, he still had to do, he got to get dirty, too. Yeah, on the way up, you get dirty. How many people do you think he killed? I don't know, man. Damn. I don't know. I mean, indirectly, I'm sure it was many. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like those people would just be like, obviously, I'm not touching a gun. Yeah. That's you guys. Well, by the time, yeah, by the time he was what he was when he died, he wasn't touching a gun. But right. Yeah. But this was, I mean, imagine. So if they had me, if he had me when he was 20, moved to the U.S. when he was 20, that means that happened when he was 17 or 18. <sighs> yeah. So at this point, and he died at 30? 36. 36. And you were how old then? 34. Now? 34. No, you then, were. Then, 10. 10, and he had you at 20? Mm-hmm. So he was 30. Oh, so he was. No, so he was. I was 10. No, he had me at 22 or something like that. So yeah, or older. I'm not good at math. You're good at everything else except I'm math. Good at everything else except math. <laughs> Unless I'm on ass. It's like, what's her name from uh, White Man Can't Jump? Yeah. It's like, Babe Ruth? I'm like, what? The yeah. all time rebounds leader. I'm not good at sports. Exactly, exactly. No, let's see. No, my mom was 20 when she had me. Yeah. That must have been 26, I so guess. So my dad was like 25, 26. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, damn, that's, that's like a sucky. The only way out is like, say, I'm leaving. I'm on the run now forever. Yeah. Yeah, and it's forever because then the weird. uh, I keep saying the weird thing, but I don't know. I guess my whole life is a weird thing. (laughs) Exactly, but uh, you know, part of the reason that I started kind of trying to publicly talk about this, and it's not really that I want to like publicly talk about this, but like to people in my life, is because people don't realize how often your background comes up and how often your parents come up, like. You know how weird it is to date someone for three months and then meet their parents and then be like, oh, by the way, that whole shit that I told you about my parents, that's not true. <laughs> Sorry that I lied to you for the whole uh, first half of our relationship. Or Do you get people saying like, how could you lie to me? And then you're no, like, it doesn't matter. None of that matters to how we no, like, enjoy this movie. I, I've never really had somebody that was upset that I lied to them. Obviously, they understand why, I think. But it's still just like a weird way to interact with humans to just be like i'm gonna not trust you until i trust you and then suddenly tell you that everything i told you was a lie how can you don't you trust them on at this point i mean nothing can hit you right now right uh i don't know i i I still can't let go that sense of anybody knowing anything about you can hurt you (laughs) like i was just that's how i was raised what's the saying uh, what the lo de la familia entre la familia slow down lo de la familia entre la familia are you nervous at all about like talking about this publicly in terms of like danger? I'm not really, but I know that my mom will be because, you know, like I said, she's had to deal with like actual problems about this, but 
I don't think there's any. Most of them are dead, man. All my uncles are dead. The Escobar cartel is completely yeah, evaporated. Yeah, yeah. The, all the danger in Colombia. Like, if we went there, it would be dangerous because there would be people who would want to kidnap us thinking we have money. <laughs> you uh-huh. know? Right. But it's not a matter of, like, personal hatreds anymore or anything like that. Yeah. There'd be no worried about oh, Luisa's coming in to take over where yeah, her, no, no. her father There's, left off. That's that's all Italian mafia bullshit. <laughs> okay. And Game of Thrones. Like yeah, that yeah. white hair girl. Exactly. Like we gotta kill her just in case. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's not us. How close would you say that that the cartel was to like the movie version of the of the of the mafia here? You know, the organization, um, the, the, the type A lot of, of things are pretty accurate. Like uh in general, the family atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like the the gatherings and the way like the wives get together and the way they all kind of like gossip but like in code <laughs> like a lot of these things are very uh weird things like i every single house i ever lived in my whole life with my dad was in a cul-de-sac all right yeah. uh my dad always sat with his back to the wall facing the door uh, right. Like all these things that I do see in Italian movies where I'm like, oh yeah, that, no, that's totally true. They're not using phones. We moved a lot. We changed phone numbers. We did all of that stuff. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, that's the, what Brett Ernst does, by the way. He sits with his back so he can face the door. He's always face the door. I'm like, Brett, you've never been involved in the mafia. Dude, this, doesn't, this does not involve you, Brett. I automatically go for it and then I have to remind myself that like nobody gives a shit. Nobody's trying <laughs> yeah, to kill exactly, you. And you couldn't fine. do anything yeah, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually am like, no, please, you take the wall so that I could be like, I'm not like my dad. <laughs> yeah, rather than not be scared the whole time. Yeah, like if somebody exactly. busts open a door and is like coming to kill me, I'll be yeah. like, I'm not going to get away. You're trained yeah. in this and I'm not. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean... I don't know. It's tough, but there's been, uh, well, like the, my mom's kidnapping is an example of a fucked up repercussion. Okay. So <laughs> because yeah, because that one, and I'll make it quick, <laughs> um, but that one is basically, uh, I was in high school. I graduated from high school in 2000 and I went to school for my AP exam, right? For, I think it was like AP psychology. So that means that I had like a short day where I left and then I was going to be a back home by like 1 PM. I went to school, and when I came back, uh, I found my mom on the couch, in her pajamas, like, covered in duct tape, crying, and with, like, welts and blood all over her, like, all over her legs and her face and everything. And I was like, you know, what the fuck? What, what happened to you? And she just, like, starts crying and says, these police officers came to the house, and they punched me in the face, and they tied me up and they started burning me. Like they burned her all over her body with a stun gun, you know? And she was like, they just kept asking me for the drugs. They just kept asking me where are the drugs and where's the money and saying that they know that I have it. And then when she kept saying, I don't have any of that, they put her in the trunk of her own car and drove her to another house where they continued to like burn her all over. And then after like two hours, I guess they decided to believe her and they put her back in the trunk of the car and then left her three blocks from my house and told her that she had to count to a thousand before she got out of the trunk and that if she called the police, they were going to kill her children. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to call the police. (laughs) And she was like, like a good fucking American, right? And so then she's like, no, no, you don't understand. They know everything about us. You know, they said my, my, my best friend at the time was, uh, this girl named Jessica who drove a white Mercedes, like her parents, white Mercedes. Yeah. 
and they Daddy would locks. yeah and so then they would ask her they were do while they were torturing my mom they were like asking her like who's the bitch in the white mercedes is she the one that we had to get the drugs from and like cop these are cops cops yeah so they're dressed like cops so my mom's like they're cops so that's why she opened the door right and so basically they knocked apparently 15 minutes after i left for school they knocked on the door and when she opened the door because they were dressed like cops they just punched her right in the face and right. knocked her out and so then i call the cops and i'm like yeah, I don't know. Somebody needs to be here now because cops came and beat the shit out of my mother. And uh, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And within, dude, within like 11 minutes, there was like 17 cop cars outside my house, like Channel 7, like everything, freaking out. Dade County? Uh-huh, yeah. And so they come, they do the whole thing, like pictures of my mom, like naked to get all her injuries and like getting all her story and all of this stuff. We ended up in the witness protection program because it turns out that they were actually DEA agents. Okay. Who, who? That did it? That, that did it, yeah. So it was a group. I think it was seven men. Uh, three of them were DEA agents. One of them was a Broward Sheriff's officer. Oh. And the other three... Yeah, it was seven, right? Yeah, and the other three were Cuban criminals, who two of whom had already been ex- deported twice and somehow got back in. But what this fun little gang did is that they robbed drug dealers because the DEA agents would get like tips of who has stashes and then the group would go rob them because they're not going to call the cops and tell them tell on you. But we didn't have any fucking drugs. Right. <laughs> so I called the cops. So Oh, right. Yeah, so they made a mistake. But it turns out that what happened was that my mom used to go, again, I tell you, young woman, she used to go to this Colombian cl- nightclub in Miami dancing, right? And I think that's been our biggest mistake and why I want to be open about things is that in one way we were like always very secretive about our lives yeah. but then in another way we only continued to be around Colombians who knew all about our secrets you know what I mean like my mom still we lived in Miami Miami's full of Colombians full yeah. of widows of those dudes and they were all your dad was high enough up where they yeah were like, where we were just course, known. yeah exactly and it turns out, check out how freaking lame this is. So my mom used to go dancing at this club that was just like Colombian music and Colombian people all the time. Yeah. And there was a guy who like had the hots for my mom and was always hitting on her and she would turn him down. Yeah. But he had a girlfriend, a Cuban girlfriend, who was super jealous that he kept hitting on my mom. So she knew the Cubans that were part of the DEA Rob Drug Dealers group. So she was and like, she went and told them that she knew a Colombian woman that traffics drugs, that her husband was a big narco trafficker, that she, I think she even told her, told them that she had personally seen my mom throwing bricks of cocaine across, like over the fence of her backyard, like made shit up, okay? And then these dudes, like, Women watched, are scandalous. Yeah, Once they dude. try to lie, everyone believes them. Yeah, man. And so these dudes, like, they watched the house, but they could never, like, obviously pinpoint who was bringing in the drugs. So they. Because none of it was happening. Of, yeah, exactly. So they decided to just go in and ask for it. And then we're like, Damn, fuck, we fucked up. Yeah. Burned her. Yeah. And so she was able to, like, um, uh, say yeah that's who it is she was able to what's it identify well, them sort of so yes yeah, she was because then they started the investigation they found out that it was dea agents uh they put us in the witness protection program because they like it went across agencies like there was no you know there's nobody that we could trust there yeah. was a broward sheriff's officer involved there was a miami dade so well when we were in the it wasn't the pro- protection program it was like relocation or whatever it was like before no false identities it was just like we'll hide wherever you are you know and that was being run by Miami-Dade Police Department. And then 
we got, I started my first year of college while we were in that program. And so I would drive from where we were staying all the way to college, like two hours to go to class. And then one day when I got out of class, my, um, both of my rear lights on my car were broken in with a wooden bat, like there were splinters and everything. And there was a note that said, if you don't want your mom to die, you better convince her to move back to Columbia. And my, I went home and I tell my mom and my mom was like, it's these fucking cops. Nobody was supposed to know where we are. It's these fucking cops. I'm not going to trust them. So we just left the witness relocation program. Yeah. They're yeah. already fucked up enough. It's yeah. like, we're not, okay, so, you guys aren't trustworthy. Yeah, so we just left and we stayed with a friend and then we would just like see the cops when we went to court and all of this stuff. So they ended up deporting one of the Cubans again and then I think two of the DA agents were just uh, reprimanded and one lost his job. Reprimanded. Yeah, the Broward for Sheriff's beating someone. Uh huh. Yeah, for being involved. Well, all that they could prove was that they had possibly released sensitive information to them in the past. Not even in my mom's case. In uh, in the other cases of the people. Man, those then, people always look out for themselves. Yeah, man. Then people started coming forward. That you were, never hear about a cop arresting a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Ever. Exactly. Yeah. So it just got it just got really bad, and we decided not to be a part of that anymore. So. Now my mom still gets checks from a couple of them that are in jail because you know whatever work they do in jail, yeah. their, their pay or whatever goes to their victims for restitution. Oh really? Yeah, so it's like a hundred bucks or whatever a month. It's not like a big deal, but um, yeah. So because of that, but so oh, so you want to talk about cops being pieces of shit? Yeah, so sure. during was, the trial, yeah, it came up. The DEA came to my mom and was like, "We can't use your witness testimony anymore because you're no longer a reliable witness." And my mom was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" It turns out that probably the Broward Sheriff's officer did something to change that. That's all my phone. Over That's there. over there. Yeah. Damn. The, the yeah. we think it was the Broward Sheriff's officer, according to this lawyer that we talked to. Uh, but apparently, at some point, somebody changed the Florida record to say that my mom has an arrest for drug trafficking in Los Angeles. Okay? So you remember the previous story yeah. in Los Angeles. If you run a background check of my mom in Los Angeles, it's clear because all those cases, charges were dropped and she sued for false arrest, right? But if you run it in Florida, it says she's a convicted felon in LA. So the only way to fix it, and if you run a national then it says she has a record in Florida because Florida returns a red flag. Whoa. You understand me? So now the only way to fix huh. it is a lawyer. She has a record in Florida through LA. Yeah, exactly. And neither one of the states will like do anything about it unless we get a lawyer to like prove and do both courts at the same time, which we don't have money for. So my mom's a housekeeper until they run her background. And then they run her background and she gets fired and she goes and tries to get another job. That's what happens to her? Yep. She's unemployed right now. The problem is the system is set up by the people who have money to be able to properly use the system. Yep. So anyone else just get, can't use the system. Yeah. Like, exactly. what, how, what do you mean you get a lawyer to try to get yeah. this done so that you can get jobs as a housekeeper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's garbage. America's garbage sometimes. I know. I know. It's, uh, it's really ironic because the one thing always growing up that my mom told me was the greatest thing your dad and I ever did for you guys is to have you in America mm-hmm. because you're going to have everything we couldn't have. And in a way it's true. Like I am the first person in my family who doesn't have to have children, doesn't have to be a wife, doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a Catholic, doesn't have to be, you know, I'm a big girly girl. Yeah. I can be whatever I want. And I have literally, that's what I've done all my life. So I appreciate it. What are you? I'm um, an anthropologist. I am a free person in the most, I think, oh, yeah, in a good sense, in the sense of like, uh, 
I am fully aware of my past, but I don't let it care. Like, it's not a burden for me to carry. I work well towards having a successful future, but it's not the thing that I worry most about in the world. I think I live in the present more than most people because that's what I saw is a lot of people losing their present because of all of their choices about trying to like somehow have a better future, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think I'm making my way to a better future by living in the present and by being trying to be a good person every day and trying to make decisions based on what I want, not what's expected of me. Because, you know, I think about my dad and my mom. Dude, they were like 17 or 18, 19. They had no choices in any of this. Like, what were the choices? They were... They did get you that, huh? Yeah. So... I mean, those medicines ladies just from across the border in California just yeah. dropped their babies off like turtles. Yeah. But then the irony is that the American government played such a huge role in destroying my family. And even after my dad, the American government has fucked my mom over, over and over again. So it's just this like double-edged sword of like, yeah, I know I have a lot because of it. You think any part of it's like, fuck them. We're still trying to fuck with them for funneling drugs into our... Into no, work. I don't think so. I think, I think that a lot of systems in America are inherently flawed and They're that flawed. it's just more easily seen in underprivileged or on people that don't have power. Nobody in the ghetto is writing the laws. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, the laws. and the loopholes that hurt people are more likely to hurt the less powerful. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So it could happen to anyone, but yeah, a lot of it's happened to my mom. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... Uh, so, wh- so why were you nervous talking about this? Just because it's personal? Well, because I've never really... You know, I've told bits and pieces of this to people. Yeah. And... You dropped a little bit when we were getting high up at Rebecca's once. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's usually... I'll just be like, oh. But that's what I was saying. Is like most people don't realize that how often in like a date or a friendship or a conversation, it just yeah. comes up like, wait, what, does your parent, what do your parents do? Or like, where are you from? It's part of how we know ourselves and know other people. So if I'm always telling a lie or not acknowledging all these things that very in very real ways made me who I am, then I'm like, I don't know. It's it's dishonest with myself. <sighs> not being others. yourself. Yeah, that's what somebody said was the problem with cheating. It wasn't the cheating or whatever. It was the just having a little bit like, oh, it's with my friends. Yeah. Just like you, you're, you're just not quite as close to the person. You're holding yourself you're, in check. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're constantly, and that's what I was saying about trusting people. You're constantly assessing whether this is the person you're allowed that I can to let tell. This out. Yeah. yeah. Or have I told them in the past? Or how many, which like, lie Like you don't, you don't have that them? with, you don't like tomatoes. You, no, like exactly. if it comes up, it comes up, but yeah. you don't think about it at all. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that was one reason. But then the other reason is really that I'm really worried about my mom. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, like, I don't know, you know, she's really fucked. She's in a fucked situation, and right now I help her financially. Right back her checks, and then she goes, yeah, she's got a felony. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants to hire a felonious yeah, maid to be to around my stuff. House. Yeah, exactly. So she, she's pretty fucked, and then I'm just like, what is she going to do when she can't even work? I'm definitely going to have to take care of her. Like, I'm just very worried about my mom, and like, her life has been so fucked up and so out of her control. Yeah. And recently she started talking to me about this and she asked me if I will help her write a book about her life. So I think that seems like a good exit (laughs) out of this or, you know, like get in deeper to get out the other side kind of thing. Um, And I think it'll help her, you know, to like actually... Is there anyone in like the Florida government that could help her just take care of this? I don't know. This is part of why I wanted to do this is like for my personal sake was the self-honesty thing, practicing self-honesty. But uh, the practical reason is like I really don't want anybody to reach out to me to talk to me about this. Yeah. Um, Except in the case of if you can help me find my mom a lawyer or a book agent. 
that's what I would like to do to like somehow help her empower herself to like get something out of this, some kind of way to have it not all be for nothing. You know, she thinks she got two wonderful kids out of it. <laughs> so yeah. she doesn't think it was for nothing, but I think it was for nothing. It hurts me. It hurts me to know that, um, yeah, you get the kids, I guess. I guess. No, and like, you know, one time my mom said to me that she was like, so, it's really weird because there was this this weird swap in, her, in my life where at the beginning, all yeah. I ever heard was, you're supposed to be a wife and mother and you need to be prettier, be thinner, learn how to cook. Be Like, everything was about, this is where you should be, like coming from my mom because that's the way that she was raised. Did she changed that? Well, then I was like an atheist and a socialist and I went to school for a bunch of shit that nobody gives a shit about. And I just was like, I will completely reject everything that you want to give to me. And so for a long time, it was contentious. It was very like, well, but you, I won't, you should have children. I want to be a grandmother. You should be a good Catholic. You should, you know, that kind of stuff. And then a few years ago, it just turned all of a sudden. And she said to me one day, I realized that you are and have done everything I never could have done and everything I never could be but always wanted to and like that this is the first thing that makes me tear up because like my mom is so intelligent and funny and talented she draws she's great and she never had a chance to be anything except a wife and a mom and that's it and she thinks that's a good thing but to me I just see it as such a waste of a life (laughs) you know like it sounds so shitty but that's why I don't want kids like to me anybody can be a mom Anybody can. It's so few of us who have the choice. Yes, no, and it's like so few of us who have the choice. I want to raise a kid. For what? For what? What what do you think you'll do different? What do you have training and fucking child rearing? You're just going to guess like everybody else. It's also. They're going to be fine no matter what. A cop out. It's a cop out. It is a cop out. I'll just go get a white picket fence and I don't have to fucking do anything. The, The cop out is I, as an adult, I'm a 34 year old woman with a lot of achievements under my belt. And at no point do I think, oh, I'm ready to teach another human how to be a human. All right, you're still learning, I consider too. myself still learning and still trying to perfect myself. So what kind of asshole is like, no, I'm good. I'm ready to like start talking about alphabets and God yeah. and death with a fucking child. Please, dude, come on. Yeah, a comic who's two years in telling open micros what they should be doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, what? I'm not having it. Yeah, so yeah, the, the saddest thing to me is my mom. And also, everyone so I talk to... Why'd she change? I don't know. I think that maybe she did see this, you know, I travel, I'm well read, I have a a lot of friends, I have a good life, you know? You think she's uh, not envious, but jealous, whatever the good one is? What's the good one? Jealous Uh, or envy? No, I don't think it's, neither one of them is good. No, one of them is like, (laughs) oh, that's so nice, that's so cool you have that. The other is like, I wish you didn't have that, so I had it. No, I think they're both, I wish you didn't have that. No, I think uh, she's proud. No, she's proud in that way of like, I didn't know all the potential of what you could be. And yeah. now I see that you have all these things, you know. Um, I don't know. And it made me feel really great to know that at least I could give you that. Like, you couldn't do all these things, but I can be all those things for you. Yeah. And Self-sufficient woman in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm strong and I'm good. Maybe it's that. Maybe you just saw it for real once. What? Maybe you just saw it, like, differently one day. Uh, I don't know, man. I think so. I think that... I think it's a matter of uh, what I was telling you about the past versus the future. Uh, a brief anthropological aside, <laughs> I in school, what I specialized in was modern American culture, ironically enough, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I think it's because of this, actually, Ari, because I grew up in America, my formative years are in America, but I grew up always as an outsider, as somebody who's like watching everybody around me. Mm. And... I think it was easier for me than it is for most Americans to turn this like critical lens on our own society and whatnot. So anyway, 
I specialize in modern American in modern American culture, and one of the main things that I spent a lot of time reading and writing about is our understanding of time. Right. So basically, um, it just comes down to the fact that all modern Western humans conceive of time as Judeo-Christian time, even if we are not religious. And what Judeo-Christian time? Yeah. yeah. So what Judeo-Christian time is is the understanding of time as a linear progression from origin to the promised land. To right? heaven. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me break, put this in my head for a second. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so linear progression from origins. Birth to heaven. To heaven. But, so in Judeo-Christianity, origins would be original sin, the seven tribes, like the reason we exist, basically. The distant past of everything we are and that you carry with you. All part of our origins. Is part of our origin. Oh, and then it's not heaven, it's Messiah. Well, yeah, it depends. They all get different versions. So in uh, in different versions of Judeo-Christianity, the future, or so it's time is progress towards a promised future that you can't stop, but that you should always try to stop every day as much as possible. What? So it's about, so Judeo-Christian time is about you go from origin through progress to promised ending that you cannot change but that you should try every day to change. So, for example, in Judeo-Christianity, every day you have to act in a way so as to please God in order to get that promised land at the end, even though we all know you can't change God's mind and he's already decided, but every day you should still try to be a good Christian slash Jew, right? Right. So, that's Judeo-Christian time. That's how we all view like our, our businesses, everything. Views time from beginning to end in a linear progression. That every day you can't stop it, but you have to keep working towards trying to slow it. <laughs> even in the even in the, the was it Quakers movement? who go yeah. who go. Uh, it's already set. There's only a hundred thousand people yeah. ever going to heaven. Yeah, but but you still live try. really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You still try. In Protestantism, it's your work ethic is reflective of your uh, adherence to God and your respect yeah. for His decision. Ultimately, it's like the Green Movement. Uh, yeah, in the Green Movement, because basically, so. That's the Judeo-Christian way of seeing time. So then some people would be like, well, I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew, so how could I? Our secular time is understood in the same exact way. So that, for example, we all live in the distant past in the way of your identity and everything that you are and that you carry on you is where you came from, who your parents were, your nationality, your religion, your sexual orientation, everything that you consider to be nature versus nurture. All of that is your distant past that defines you. And then your distant future is how much money I'm supposed to have, what house I'm supposed to have, how many kids, what wife, what she should look like, who I should vote for, all these expectations of what your future self should be yeah. so that we live in an evacuated present. That's wait, 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 wait. Back up, back <laughs> okay. up a little bit. Sorry, okay. sorry. Back up to when you start going to the new version. Okay, so the new version, the secular version of it, so the past you understand it's pretty basic. It's just that our instead of thinking of our religious past as the seven tribes or original sin, we carry the past, we seculars carry the past of your family's lineage, the family business you're supposed to carry on, right. the number of children you have to have because you're the only son, that you know, all of these expectations from the past. And then we are completely focused on the future that we can't stop, that we can't slow down, but that we still need to prepare for every single day, right? So then that means have your stock options, get insurance, buy a house. Retirement are you funds, getting too old to have children? Are you, yeah, exactly. 
So then that state of view... trying to control this future. Yeah. So the state of viewing time as only important in terms of the distant past and the distant future means that the majority of us don't live in the present. Every decision you make is based on the past or the future, not Mm. do I want to enjoy myself right now? Do I like this meal? Do I want to have sex with this person? You know, we don't live like that. We live very much... Will I get an STD? Yeah, like if I get, if I have sex life. with this person, then no one's going to want to marry me later. It's like, yeah. what? But that's not, exactly. you still want exactly. to. Exactly. So the secular version of that, that's the personal level. But in the macro level, the green movement is a great uh, transposition, I guess, of Judeo-Christian time. Because the green movement says, there's nothing we can do about it. We already destroyed the earth. It's all from the distant past of industrialism and all these things. Can't be reversed. But... Every day, we should fight the coming apocalypse by recycling, uh-huh. planting a tree, and <laughs> doing all this stuff. Which ultimately, Running out of fossil fuels, yeah, so let's slow exactly, it down. Exactly, exactly. So then we just like transpose uh, politics is always this idea of like somehow saving this idealized distant past of, the, of America through... Right, where it's like capitalism is the best system in the world, yeah, and it's exactly. like, wait, but it doesn't work now at all. Exactly. So it's idealizing a complete distant past and then trying to somehow manifest that into the future by making decisions about the future. Uh-huh. But anyway, point is that I think... I got into those observations because of my family, because I got to see a lot of this, like, you know, the crazy spending is a little bit of that living for today, right? for sure. But then also... You can't justify buying a fucking jungle cat. Yeah, exactly. There's no, like, financial advisor, but it's the right time for it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. You've got the funds. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then there's also the, like, no planning for the future whatsoever for the benefit of your kids and your family. But there's also the complete freedom from the expectation of everything you were in the past. Like you said, fuck you to your parents, to your laws, to your government, to everyone, to be everything you wanted to be, to do everything you wanted to do. So I I just got to see from very young that things don't have to be the way they are, you know, and that... I don't know. It could be different. I see a lot more people now. Maybe it's just me, but I see a lot more people now viewing money as no longer the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And it's more like friendships and experiences. Mm -hmm. And if you make, you know, 20 grand a year forever and have super fun and live on like the bottom level of Titanic where everyone's dancing all the time, it's just better than having those jewels and being all serious all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shift. I think it's a shift in the zeitgeist of... Uh, yeah, people go. I have ten million in the bank. Like what? Yeah, exactly. What are you For what? Yeah, it's actually you now we, we would see it more as a sign of insecurity, yeah. right? Of like, oh, you need that. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Does that tuck you in? Yeah, night? exactly. I'm like, no, I'm I'm happy with my small apartment and my happy life in New York, where I get to do whatever the fuck I want, whenever I want. Rogan's always telling me to buy a nice, like a baller car. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, I only live in LA for three months. He goes, still. I'm like, still what? I don't want. I have no desire for it. No man, you're asking me to want something I don't want. No, and then we'd have to get into like Neoplatonism (laughs) and the idea that uh, all these attachments, right? These are all things that tether your soul to the earth. Is the way. Yeah, things that own you. Exactly, exactly. That you think you need to have them to define yourself, but then ultimately they're more drains on your energy and your time and your thoughts and your it's, it's just well now i gotta pay a car payment and i gotta take it to the thing to change the tires like if i don't need it then why should i have those tasks and bills on my plate yeah it's fine yeah so, yeah it's just adding less joy to your yeah, life exactly. adding a responsibility exactly exactly well luisa um thanks thank you man how do you feel 
pretty good. I have to pee really bad. Oh, yeah, other sure. Other than that. <laughs> oh, my bathroom's perfect for that. Yeah. It was like made awesome. for it. <laughs> Great. No, thank you for having me. It was, so if people um, do want to reach out, help your mom or help you help your mom, how, how would they do that? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, I guess. Uh, Twitter? Yeah, I guess on Twitter. An email uh, address? Email address. Or no, Twitter? How no, would you want? Twitter. Yeah, just do Luisa Diaz Nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Figure it out. Um, I'll put a link to it, I guess, yeah, to your Twitter it. account. Um, yeah, I'm sure you'll get some people saying hi and thanks anyway, and that was interesting, but yeah, go, go pee. Go okay, pee. I'll go pee. You make the outro. Bye, everyone. Okay. Uh, I'll do the outro later anyway. Um, yeah, all right. Luisa D- D- Diaz Nuts. Uh, I'll put it in. Well, let me just look it up now. Okay, I got it. Luisa, L-U-I-S-A, D-I-E-Z, not like Joey Diaz, D-I-E-Z-N-U-T. S. I would have gone with N-U-T-Z, but either way. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Louisa. Uh, bye. Wait, last, okay, the last thing I want to ask you. Okay. The part in Narcos where the guy's just, Escobar is just smoking reefer all day, every day. Yeah. Is that at all realistic? Yeah, that's real. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. No, I can tell you this. Uh, my favorite vision of my dad. Yeah. I told you we had all those dogs, right? Yeah. Uh, in the morning, I would wake up sometimes and my dad would be sitting in the backyard overlooking like the whole yard, yeah. smoking a joint and feeding a whole salami to his favorite Doberman. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, a whole salami? Yeah, because she was pregnant. So he's like, she just needs her, she needs her nutrition. So every morning he would just smoke his joint and give a whole salami to the fucking dog. Morning joints. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks. All right, that's the episode, you guys. Thank Louisa for doing it. She'll be back on the podcast talking about something else. Um, she's just so, I don't know, I guess well-read, but just smart, just smart, cool person. Um, yeah, I wonder about those guys. What that would have been like. Well, I guess we know a little bit. Back of the head just shot, just boxed in and shot. Um, again, you guys, if you want to come to my storyteller show, the taping, it's oh, in two weeks, really. Um, yeah, do it. Why not? It's a fun, free show. Uh, you can get drinks, have a good time. Come out to the show. We need fans there. So if you're in L.A., March, uh, May 22nd through 25th, please fill it out. And uh, they'll send you a confirmation uh, within a day or two. www.theblacklistnyc.com slash T-I-N-H dot H-T-M-L. No, just not L. H-T-M-L. Theblacklistnyc.com slash T-I-N-H dot H-T-M. And fill out Jew as you're referred by, and they'll know you're my fan. If you find out which comic you want to go see, um, that's that's when uh, you fill out S1. S1 is Sunday. Um S2 is Monday, 7.30. S3 is Monday, 9.30. S4 is Tuesday, 7.30. You get it. Move on and on. So if you find out from the comics themselves, fill out that, and then they'll get you in for that show specifically. Um, but they don't have the exact lineups yet. Anyway. Um, all right. And Punchline, San Francisco, with Kate Willett, is opening for me. Kate has the YouTube story of the week on Tuesday. So that'll be cool. Um Good story about Burning Man. 
Yeah, and then Baltimore uh, in like a few weeks. I've been doing Magoobies the 27th and 28th of, Bal- of, uh, of uh, May. That's it, you guys. Zany's Nashville, June 8th. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. That's it. I got to get out to the country more, you guys. I ain't a redneck, but I am country. I like the country. I like being out there with the clean air and, and getting out into nature. I mean, New York's cool and all, but every once in a while, it goes to my theory of like introverts and extroverts. Like, introverts aren't never extroverted. They are sometimes. And extroverts are sometimes introverted. They just, you know, once a month, they just need a quiet day to themselves. Whereas introverts, you know, 25 to 27 days a month, they need quiet days to themselves. It's the same thing with countries and cities. I need sometimes, you know, the city's fine. The concrete jungle is totally okay. I thrive off the energy, but then if you can just get away, get into nature a little bit, man, it feels good to relax and just clear your head. It's just nice out there. I like driving past the cows. You forget being in a big city like this. You forget. I mean, I did in Maryland a little bit. If you went right instead of left. You know, on, 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 was that Colesville Road? You're in fucking Cowtown. In 15, 20 minutes. Nobody went right, that's all. But yeah, once in a while, you just need to get out there into the country and just breathe the fresh air, take a hike, smoke some reefer in the woods. You know? Chomp on a mushroom or two. Shroomfest coming July 16th through the 18th this year. July 16th through the 18th. By the way, July 16th, I'll be doing a show in Calgary. Ari Shafir and Friends, Take Stampede. That's another time. Um, get tickets at arithegreat.com. Um, Dublin, I believe, will be done this week. Let's check out my website for that. Um, and then Edinburgh, the whole month at the Hive. Tickets to that will be out soon, too. Um, all right, you guys, that's it, right? That's it. For Luisa Diaz and Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tech, episode 264, Narcos, I'm Ari Shafir saying, stay tuned next week. Dan Soto will be on talking about the cannery. Come to the benefit on Monday, Tonight, today, tonight at 9.15 at New York Comedy Club, 24th Street, 24th, 3rd and 2nd, um, on the north side of the street, towards 2nd, almost, almost at 2nd. Me, Bobby Kelly, excuse me, Robert Kelly, Sean Patton, the amazing David Tell, I'm hosting, Aaron Berg's going out, one more, who knows it'll be. Um, come out for a good cause and great comedy show. Thank you very much for coming, everybody. Have a good night. Good, have a good week, too. Have a good week. Get outside. Get outside. I'm going to go camping this summer. For sure. For sure, for sure. My ankle held up. For sure. All right, bye. Hay carteles, equipos y rangos Poderosos multimillonarios Medellín de Pablito y su gente Escobar, un hombre respetado Supo hacer deshacer al gobierno Fue violento y así fue aceptado Las batallas que fueron ganadas 
las derrotas no son olvidadas Hay venganza, por eso hay respeto Todo tiene la causa y efecto Los políticos y guerrilleros Se deslumbran al ver el dinero ¡Hasta Colombia, mi gente! Se vio la pobreza Trabajaban así los hermanos Sin temer al gobierno y sus rejas Cali fue de los más respetados Los Rodríguez formaron su empresa Con el norte del valle presente Poderoso cartel del oriente La virtud de la mente maestra se combina con las estrategias Traficar el negocio asociado Y los reyes son los colombianos Hay soplones, sapos y embalados Las chinitas siempre de mi agrado Dijo parce nos busca el gobierno Si nos tuercen luego nos pillamos más de pronto que siga este cuento, son más duros narcocolombianos. 